On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're loving it up with The Lovers on Sky, dying for love in Love and Death on ITVX, and going full banana crackers with Apple's entirely cuckoo bong new show, The Changeling. Plus, Johnny Flynn drops by to tell us more about The Lovers, and Rosamund Pike embraces Sidar and joins us on the pod for a little wheel of time chat with Helen O'Hara. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, your essential guide to every show that matters and a show that is embarking on a marathon recording session today. We have just finished last week's Pilot Plus. We are now seamlessly transitioning into this week's regular pilot show. We are in the studio. There's been a lot of caffeine. Kay's bouncing off the walls, (laughs) although she's in a surprisingly good mood, so that's quite handy, aren't you, Kay? I'm always in a good mood. Oh, you know. I wasn't when you just raced me up the stairs to the toilet. Uh, and, and won. Stole the, yeah. And won, incidentally. He, like, he took the last remaining toilet. That's all you need to know about James. <laughs> God. Uh, sorry about that. Sorry about that. But, you know, but it's like, you know, because it's Wednesday morning. It's Wednesday morning and I'm flying into a hurricane tomorrow because I'm going to Florida for my oh, annual hold on. trip. Let me get hold my on. little violin yeah. out. <laughs> you're, you're actually try, pleading for sympathy for your yeah. annual, f- grotesquely enjoyable trip to Disney World in Florida. It, at Universal Studios, Boydie, and, not Disney And World. Universal Studios. Or just no, Universal, only Universal Studios. Universal Studios. So I'm going to Universal Studios oh. for the Halloween Horror Nights where I get to try out the, the horror yes. houses. And this oh, is the one Jesus where you do the Christ. karaoke ride. Well, that's we'll not part of the ch- horror house, but yes, that's a different that's kind of horror. horror yes, it's part of the horror show, not part of the horror house. Yeah. So, But this year, guys, 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 there's a Last guys. of Us guys guys yes. guys there's a Last of Us horror house uh, which I'm totally yes. psyched about sure. so I'm very very excited to go uh, is that going to be the house where episode 3 occurred the house where episode oh yeah. I see, sorry I what? couldn't work out what you're talking about then you mean episode 3 of the Last of Us will yeah. it be the house from no yeah. it won't no, no it won't what house will it be then it, well it's a, well, so it's not an actual house so, so the way I call <laughs> them horror houses now. it's like a maze so it's like a so essentially oh. what they do is so right. so right you, you can make me James explain the whole of Horror Nights yes. to you they have these large sound stages and they have like 10 to 12 houses but essentially their sound stage is made out to be a horror maze some of them are outside environments some of them are inside environments but they're obviously you know a lot of them are replicating existing IPs and the new Exorcist is one of the ones from this year but The Last of Us is the jewel in the crown so I'm very excited about that yeah oh, that sounds good yeah, yeah I'm jealous yeah so you should be I mean I was in Edinburgh but you know yes that's much the same, same. Yeah. fewer hurricanes you two just in Edinburgh wafting around gallivanting Mm. Yeah, it says Kay yeah, after demanding just, time off. Exactly, a week. <laughs> yeah, just before we started recording, Kay was like, I think you're fine, guys. I'm taking some holidays, so you can need to get them. Yeah, and they were so cranky about it. Yeah, mm. that's right. Mm. Uh, anyway, you've just heard them. It's Kay Ribeiro <laughs> and Boyd Hilton. Hi there. The other two pillars of Pilot's geeky triumvirate. Uh, thank you for joining us. We didn't have a choice. You didn't have a choice, that's true. He makes it sound like, yeah. you know, but he's been a real but stick. Thank you for accepting my invitation mm. to join us on the podcast. Uh, yes, sorry, we're slightly giddy, still, slightly giddy still from a, an, a hectic Pilot Plus recording. But let's go straight into the regular podcast. Let's talk about what we've been watching. What have you been watching? Well, I was going to talk about how I mentioned this last week that um, my what what I've been watching um, thing had been slightly hampered by the fact that I was in Edinburgh at the TV festival. You were going to lots of um, talks and events, and on uh, when we recorded the podcast last week, I hadn't yet been to the greatest of all days of the TV festival, which was the Friday. And on the Friday morning, not only did they have a kind of masterclass with Sally Wainwright. Oh wow! Wow. Yes. Of Happy Family, etc. Fame. I think eventually they put them up on uh, on YouTube or whatever YouTube channel, but I think they have to a while, otherwise no one would actually bother going and paying all the money for the you know mm. delegates have to pay in order to get in. So I don't think they're available yet. I may be wrong. I haven't checked. Sally Wainwright, who I have to say, she was on great form. 
because I've seen her interviewed quite a few times in a live Q&A situation and sometimes she's quite shy at that quite kind of mm. um yeah so she, she can, talks about that doesn't she? yeah but she was brilliant she was on brilliant form she was very if kind of you know she was in a really good mood really features really interesting um and she's got a new project they asked did we talk about it in news no i can't remember she's got a her new bbc series is a kind of going to be about a music act like a um a pop band like a a, 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 a yeah pop band of women and it's because her the, the show that most influenced her when she was growing up was rock follies which was a brilliant series about uh, a pop act, a kind of girl group. And so she's kind of, she's always, basically the head of the BBC said to her, of all of your projects, she's got, she had four or five ideas. And she said, which one means most to you? What's the one you're closest to your heart? She said, oh, this one about this, yeah, like a girl band kind of thing. And so she's going to, Make it. That's brilliant. I'm yeah. sure they must just give her carte blanche to do whatever she wants now. I'm I mean, sure. now she did. He, she was asked that. So the interviewer, by the way, and I've, 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 <laughs> I'm about to say his name, and I've already forgot his name. He's the guy. You know, used to be on the one show. He's on five. Adrian lot. Charles. Adrian Charles. Thank you. Agent Charles interviewed her, and um, even though he's quite kind of in quotes shambolic and you know it was quite freewheeling but actually that that was good because it was just a natural conversation anyway he asked her whether it was the case now that she could basically do what the hell she wanted and she said yes to a large extent but there are still there's still there's like one project she wanted to do about one historical figure who they haven't no one's commissioned her to do yet so it's not like like she gets to do whatever she wants completely but more mm. but she does get much more freedom to pick her projects now particularly happy valley she said as a result of happy valley and she was just, she was just really interesting. Then, after that, we had another one-on-one um, -on -one kind of masterclass situation with Jesse Armstrong. Oh wow! Which was hosted by Marina Hyde of the Guardian fame. Oh, she's great. Yeah, I love her columns. She's just, she's a very, she's very funny. Um, but Jesse was on really good form as well, I thought. And there again, there's always certain things he doesn't particularly like talking about with Succession in particular. But he was very. Yeah, he was fascinating. Like he's, what? He's, uh, he's, he's got a thing about people saying um, whether they're about the likable character question, you know, that which we constantly deal with on this podcast. <laughs> Is it because he's been asked too much? I mean, no, it's but he's, he's basically like, I create the, we create the characters. That, that with the actors and the actors perform it. it's up to you whether you like them or, or, or what you think is going on in their morality or whatever. he doesn't judge them it's like he's not there to judge these people do you know what I mean he's there to just it, to deliver a drama yeah. with interest as interesting people as possible and does he not it's like to, to speculate us. on their inner life yeah he, like, he gets really funny about that I've little, noticed yeah he doesn't love it yeah he doesn't love that kind of question but that but but in terms of like talking about the process and making it he he did he talked all about that each episode, 30 to 50 drafts. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, my God. Yeah. Jesus. And he said, like, yeah, that doesn't... One draft might just be... Especially the further it goes on, the more the later drafts are, you know, maybe a scene is removed and may, maybe a, a kind of, you know, half a scene. But 30 to 50 Bloody drafts, hell. yeah, insane. Um, and he talked about how he loves the writer's room because people were asking, you know, people were questioning whether... Because he came from... You know, when he was in Peep Show, it was him and Sam Bain, and they wrote every single episode themselves, obviously. Um, and uh, that was the way... And British TV's always thrived on individual writers, writing stuff. Yeah. But he said he absolutely loved the writer's room, and he loved... People would come in and bring their own... Just stuff that happened to them in their lives. And he was... And one of the most interesting questions was, do you prefer it when every single thing in your show, particularly Succession, obviously, is based on something that's happened in real life? And he said he does. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he, he kind of... You can tell the difference. Yeah, he gets a bit... He, he feels a bit guilty, I think he said. I'm paraphrasing. But he feels a bit guilty when he writes stuff that hasn't happened, that is completely... Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And it's more... It feels more 
authentic and real and he just it's just he just finds it easier to get on with stuff that's based on even if it's very loosely based on someone's experience or something that the researchers There's have told him. There's a kernel of truth. Yeah, kernel of truth. And he talked about all the 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 lifestyle wealth advisor <laughs> and how important that was really to the thing. I'm he sure talk- his lifestyle is not dissimilar at this point, but you know. Oh, I don't think I don't think he's not a, a lavish uh, spender. It's not a private jet. <laughs> no. Yet. But why he talked about how cuz the the I won't bang on about it. The origin of the show was he he wrote he wrote a script about the Murdochs. That was the first thing. Yeah. And he wanted to turn that into a film or series. And then he completely scrapped it and went back. And then he did stick with the idea of doing a family, a very rich, powerful family of moguls or whatever, whatever you want to call them. Um, but he was talking about how there was a version of the show where Channel 4 makes it, you know, and it's it's people in rooms talking and thrashing the stuff out. And he said, that was a perfectly viable version of the show. Yeah, but this is the interesting thing. But then he said, then when you get to do it for HBO, mm. they're back you from the beginning and you've got helicopters. <laughs> and they're real helicopters. And yeah. that is a big difference. And I was sort of thinking, it's such a difference. It, may, it could have been a very in, different show. Yeah, It, it puts it, a sheen on the show. Yeah, that you even if have. the scripts had been as brilliant as mm. they were and the actors had been as brilliant as they were, on a low budget, it's an interesting example of on a, a, the low budget version of that show is nowhere near, just as in, an enjoyable a viewing experience. Also because so, of the nature of the subject matter, mm, right? Yeah. If it's about you know, opulent wealth. If yeah. you can't picture that. Right. But there's a way, there is a way, there's a way, he was basically saying there are ways around these things. You yeah. don't have to have an HBO budget, but no. when they got the HBO budget, he's it like, helps. <laughs> it really, really helps in this particular show because it's just the whole kind of tissue of the show is so much more from scene to scene kind of spectacular and entertaining and fun and funny. It, it just helps so much. And I thought that was a really good point to mm. kind of admit you know, not admit, even what, just, but just acknowledge the fact that having a fucking massive HBO budget helps. I find him really interesting. Yeah. I love, I, I, I love the fact, but also find it weird, but love it that he won't talk about his characters in that way. Yeah. Because, and I wonder whether it's to do with his process about how the characters come to him, how they're formed. Because for some writers, the characters almost come to them fully formed, and they genuinely don't know mm. the answers to the questions about the characters except when they're in the zone writing. Because I remember talking to Neil Cross about Luther, and he was saying Alice Morgan is a character that almost writes herself. And he said, genuinely, she sometimes says things that he doesn't know. <laughs> and that's really scary. Yeah. Like, she actually says things out, and he's like, I didn't know that, and yeah. I've just written it, and I she said think, it, and it turns out to be true. I don't think Jesse Armstrong go that far. Um, but he certainly... He doesn't mind. I think, I think it's... A, I mean, there was, he did do a Q&A famously, for me, <laughs> uh, with the, when they screened the first episode. Did you go to that? Oh, no, you don't even watch the show, do you? No. no I'm asking you. Did, did you go? No. You know, there was a screening at the British Museum for this for the, for the season. Opening. Well, I was there because we did an event with Brian right, Cox. I knew you, yeah, you were there. Yeah. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. I knew you were there somehow. Um, and he did a Q&A afterwards. And he was a little bit, he, he did get, he was a little bit reluctant to answer certain questions. But yeah. I think maybe that was particularly because there's this whole season to come and he didn't want to hint at anything. But he he definitely prefers asking process questions and yeah stuff like that than than about character you know what's your with mo- character motivation and stuff like that he doesn't I mean he's, he's a lovely guy you know he's one, but he talked about how he's really proud of the reputation that the writers wanted to go back to it was such a brilliant place to work like he wanted mm. it to be really friendly welcoming open which writers rooms historically are not always right oh exactly <laughs> exactly so he you know I think he and he did it in London you know he wanted it in London because he wanted it to be you know kind of in his home place and, and he did think that. Like the British looking askance at these people from afar helped a little bit yeah. as well. Anyway, 
it'll, it'll all be it'll be on YouTube. Eventually. I think you've forgotten about our date night coming up. I haven't forgotten about date night. And Kay and I are going to see Jesse Armstrong again. Mm-hmm. No, well, we were seeing him at, at, at an event, at Royal the, Festival. Royal Festival. He's doing a tour. I wasn't invited. There'll be loads of stuff well, because, because you deserve it. Because yeah, yeah, you snubbed you the show. I might actually, I might actually report him. Report you to him. <laughs> yeah, because he's been on this podcast back, you know, back in the back in the day. Um, but yeah, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to that. And there will be other stuff he'll talk about, I'm sure, because yeah. this was very much Marina Hyde asking you. And this was more career, full career um, retrospective. So he talked about his other shows as well, Peep Show, et cetera, and Fresh Meat. Mm. But this is the one we're going to, which is um, to do with the release of the scripts in a book form, will we'll be entirely about succession. Yeah, I, I think so. That'd be fascinating. Yeah. But he's, re- he's just great at talking about the process and the, and the and how it all works and putting it together. Yeah. So that's so my watch I've been watching is Jesse Armstrong. Those, <laughs> Jesse Armstrong and Sally Wainwright. Um and they were brilliant. But the one thing I was gonna say is that I've watched more of Woman in the Wall, oh. which which I did uh, the Ruth Wilson how, review how last it? week. It is so great. It's just I've I haven't finished it yet, but I'm midway through. And it's just it's the mix of furious, righteous fury at the true stuff, the story of these um, mother and baby institutions and the Magdalene laundries is fantastically well handled with extended flashbacks and all of that. Um, And also, but the investigation is incredibly gripping and keeping you on your toes and it's full of surprising little moments and twists. And just every, it's one of those shows where you can tell how brilliant it is because even the scenes involving just a character you're only going to see once maybe like there's a scene in episode two or three, I can't remember, where they interview the guy who runs the stable around the back mm. of the police station. Yeah. And he's kind of a horrible guy. and But he's just brilliant. Like, the actor is great. He's, he's just not, he's just swearing at them. He's kind of horrible. But it's just a tiny little ca- cameo. and But it's so brilliantly done. And it's full of scenes like that. It's a young guy who's written it. Um, Joe Murtagh is his name. Um, M-U-R-T-A-G-H. Um, he's, I think this is his first solo drama that he's written he's written on a lot of other shows but I'm pretty sure this one is the first one he's done entirely himself but what a brilliant job he has done I have to say and she Ruth Wilson I mean she's brilliant in episode one but she has to do a lot even more and more as it goes on there's a lot to deal with and she deals with it absolutely fantastic fantastic so yeah the woman in the wall I said it was one of my favorite dramas of the year so far and it still is after seeing more episodes one of my favorite dramas of the year Joe Murta was born in Kings upon Thames Surrey Kane what which is your neck of the woods and he worked on oh yeah he wrote Calm with Horses the film Calm with Horses mm-hmm. which is a brilliant with Creepy film. Barry yeah um that's the thing he's most famous for yeah but I think this is his first full length tv series I'm pretty sure Kingston boy yeah there you go what have you been watching Kay? I have been watching a reality show, James. Now, I know this is against the rules, but I'm bringing it up because I think it's a really good example of how to do it because um, it is completely real, unscripted, it feels very authentic, and I'm talking about A Home with the Furies. Okay. Oh, yeah. So this, this is, is the about, boxing chat. Yes, this is about Tyson Fury. The boxing uh, chat. The boxing chat. <laughs> heavyweight champion two times, uh, undefeated, and about his wife, Paris, his six children, his brother, who's also a boxer, blah, blah, blah. Paris Fury sounds like a Gerard Butler movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she is... So, Paris Fury is the reason to watch. I mean, it's it's fascinating anyway. So, like, it gives you an insight into their world, including their traveller background. But also, what's really fascinating is it gives you um, an insight into Tyson's mental health battles. Like, if you like, he's got bipolar, he's got a lot of mental health issues, but it's also... It's about how... 
they as a family, but particularly Paris as his wife, copes with that. And it's really fascinating because like everything can turn on a dime, as you can imagine. But when you've got a larger than life character like Tyson Fury, it is crazy how much like her life is just on like sometimes on hold. He changes his mind last minute. He's he's retired, but suddenly now he's decided he's gonna he wants to have one more fight with AJ. He um Who's AJ? Anthony Joshua, yeah, famous boxing, very chap. famous boxer, sure. Um, but like he challenges him, and he'll just go on social media. So he's retired. His wife is now happy that he's no longer putting himself in danger in the ring, and um, that she, he gets to be a stay-at-home dad and all that kind of stuff, which he struggles with because his whole identity is a boxer, and the exercise uh, factor really helps with his mental health. And then suddenly she just happens to see social media, and he's challenging AJ to a massive fight for five hundred. Look, is it half a no? 500 million pounds? Yeah, it's 500 million pounds. 500 million yes. pounds? Yeah. 500 it, million pounds? Yeah. Not 50 million? Nope. Okay. Five, yeah. half, half a, a bill. billion half pounds. Half a bill, yeah. No. But I'm anyway, in the wrong line of work. Anyway, that's a small yeah. detail, but it really genuinely Even is richer so... than, uh, than um, what's her name from Sex and City? We were just talking about on the <laughs> other podcast. Sorry, mm. Carrie referenced to another podcast. Um, yeah, it is, it's really interesting. And I think the fact that it's like... It feels very authentic and real. Well, aren't there Makes bits it's... of it where, like, he literally tells them to stop filming and, you know, yeah. he gets annoyed, yeah. Of course. Yeah. And, like, I, we don't know if there'll be a second season because he said halfway through, or Paris said halfway through, he just called his lawyers and said, I want to get out of this. Because he will he will just, like, change his mind. He's very impulsive and, you know. Um, but, yeah. I would... I, listen, I know... Look, James has given me, like, the stink eye. But <laughs> the fact of it is, that is what I've been watching. Because I've been super busy and I actually just wanted to just, no, you know... Uh, you're always welcome to choose whatever you want. Don't, yeah. don't be annoyed by James. I mean, Terry used to choose, like, constantly choose the reality shows, you know. I think this one's a really good example. Yeah, yeah. Because no, also it's yeah. really informative and educational yeah. about... It's um, on Netflix. I mean, Polly, what more yeah. could you want? Um, and to Paris, Paris... Sorry, going back to my original point... She deserves a medal. Like the way she holds that family together, she's the mm. glue of the family. And the fact, I think there's only one person who could deal with him, and that's Paris. So, like, yeah, get on it. I want one other listener, please, just to watch it and to defend this choice. I'm going to watch it myself. I meant good. to watch it because it's really good. At the TV festival, again, there are lots of people saying how brilliant it was. Yeah, as an example it's really good. Of, and I really want them to be a second yeah, series. Yeah, an example of reality TV. That, and I've got to catch up with that and the Kardashians, of course. <laughs> Are you, do you watch the Kardashians regularly? Mike? I watch it on and off. Yeah, I mean, partly because my friend Ben produces it. He's, right, he's the executive. So producer. out of loyalty, partly out of loyalty, and I do find them fascinating. They are absolutely fascinating. He he played in fact another Edinburgh thing. Sorry, he he did a session as well with Richard Bacon, which was brilliant. Which I don't think I talked about last week on the podcast. No, um, and he talked about you know how he got the the process, the story of how he got the Kardashians. That's a big gig. Yeah, Kim Kardashian basically called him up. No, he was on. He was taking a break from everything. Sorry, now I've got bogged down in the story. He was taking a break from everything because he'd been really busy he'd done like mm. I think Adele the Adele concert yeah late 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 it, he'd done all these he'd done the Emmys mm-hmm. you know or the yeah or the Grammys or the Emmys maybe even both I think he's produced he was um, overachieving he was doing he'd done a lot so he decided with his family went for a break and he a phone off break literally like put the phone in the safe break so everyone knew James Corden knew and all this all this stuff and then he got, he, then he was, at, I think James called his wife. Yeah, that's right. James called oh, wow. his wife to say, I know you're on a break and I know Ben's not answering his phone, but Kim Kardashian wants to speak to him. <laughs> and so he's like, oh, okay. So he got the phone out of the safe and Kim and he said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian talked to him. She said she'd seen what he'd done, mm. I think, with Adele and with and these different shows that he produced and goes, I want you to do that. that I'll, cut, I'll move to Disney Hulu for the Kardashians. You can tell the yeah. difference in the filming. Right. Yeah. And he was like, he'd never watched, he'd never watched. Um, the Kardashians the, more of a um, foundation man 
Moral Foundation Man, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He has he'd never, out. yeah, he'd never worked. What's the original one called? Keeping up the. Uh, he'd never watched Keeping Up with ever, um, but he was obviously interested in them. And but she wanted a complete fresh start, and mm. so and he d- still hasn't watched Keeping Up with. He's completely just attacked the whole good, show from his got, own yeah, 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 fresh point of view. So it's a different, it's a different style of show. And um, yeah, and that was, but yeah, Kim, it just shows you, he just, from, he, just, he didn't very, even like, pitch for it. The new just, version is very stylized. It's just what it would be like if Kay was brought in as EP of Foundation Season 3 and just <laughs> yes. refused to watch <laughs> yeah. the first two and just exactly. like did her own you thing, put her own stamp on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it would be like. <laughs> yeah. those are, those, that's the end for now of my Edinburgh-based stories. While, while it obviously for pains now. me to extend this reality <laughs> yeah. nonsense any further than we absolutely have to, give me the top five reality TV shows. Right now or ever? I mean, that's an interesting spin on the question. Well, if you're going back, you'd have to go the Osbournes because they're the OG. Yeah. yeah. Right? Completely. Um, Big Brother because of how innovative that was. I'm putting Kardashians in. But I'm just saying in terms of best, not in terms of legacy, but in terms of just just, just best. Yeah, but it's... Um, then it would have to be recent, you know, they improve with time. Yeah, they, they do, don't they? Yeah, because filming techniques. So basically, what, like, the first, do you remember the very first shot of the Kardashians, the, the, the new yeah. version, was was in her house slash business. They, they'd a, 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 what's it called? A, uh, the camera thing which flies around. Drone. A drone. drone. Yes. They use a drone to film in, in the building. Yeah. And they, and they, and they literally go to all the different rooms and all the different areas of the massive house and show all the different Kardashian sisters and daughters etc in their di- in their different world doing what they're doing and then and then finishes with her going getting into her car and leaving the building it's just brilliantly done like uh-huh. a kind of amazing bit of technical um wizardry so you know you could compare the osbournes as kate i think rightly the osbournes is so influential as a, as a, as a as a celebrity family based show all of these off you know right up until mm-hmm. the furies yeah. probably wouldn't have happened with happened with the osbournes but technically it's not as good. So technically now there's there loads of... And the Kardashians probably is one of the best produced ones. I think so. Um, but the Osbournes was amazing. I'm, I'm going to include Big Brother for the original. Yeah. Uh, Kardashians. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to include the Furies in this, actually, okay. as a recent example. Bold. Mm. And then I'm... I don't watch this. Um, there was also... I feel like The yeah. Traitors is oh, the surely traitors. something that should yeah. be up yes, there. Definitely. And I don't even watch this stuff. Oh my God, of course. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Traitors. Yes, The Traitors. Yeah, for sure. I guess, and, and when then you go to the competition one, so you've got Bake Off and Strictly. Oh, Race Across the World. Race Across the World, yeah. brilliant. Celebrity one coming soon, which Kay's going to write about in the next uh, <laughs> few hours. So Kay's going to go on it. Yeah. Like, mm, great. <gasps> oh my God, it. can you imagine if we all did Race Across the World together? We well, would definitely kill each other. I encourage James to, to um, try and get on it. Yeah, I could but, do Race Across London. <laughs> yeah, and even that would I be think good. if we did it, we would kill each other. Almost certainly. We would kill definitely. James. Yeah. Uh, excuse me, I'm sure I would be the MVP. Like, I'd be like navigating by the stars or something. I think you would take over the map, which would irritate <laughs> Without me. Without a doubt. Yeah. And then you'd insist on going away. And then when you got went the wrong way, you would just not acknowledge that. And you'd be like, oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. I'm going this way now. <laughs> <laughs> He's laughing because he knows it's true. certainly true. true. Boyd would be the steady, steady pair of hands. He would just be calm. He wouldn't get involved in it too much. And then when things went wrong, he'd go, it's fine. It's fine. And you'd just moan about the quality of the accommodation. Oh, yeah. I would just be yeah. the one. I'd be keeping us upbeat. <laughs> yes, morale officer. Yeah, yeah. Morale. yeah that's true, actually. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, if anyone's listening who wants Do they to have work trios us... in, in <laughs> no, but no. we would we would have to they yeah. would have to adapt for us. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, anyway, anyway. Uh, have we have we covered what you've been watching? I can't, I've lost <laughs> yes, track, I've honestly, only, of what's I've going on. I've only been watching at home with the Furies, and I've been enjoying it immensely. Okay, well, I can't contribute very much because I've been watching the Wheel of Time, which <laughs> you know, which we did review on last week's Pilot Plus. Yeah, uh, but I've uh, mm, I've been enjoying that a lot. I don't think that's a good excuse. Yeah, and by the you're time you're reviewing this goes the out, show that we reviewed on, you, you've been what, what you've been watching is the show that we're reviewing. Yeah, and I think listeners yeah. get angry about that. Well, the listeners, the listeners, quite possibly, we were all dressed up as Trollocs at the event that we did last oh, week. Yes. Yes, that's the Wheel of Time event, which I can't tell you about because it hasn't actually happened as we record, but it will have happened as this goes out. So it will to, be a load of trolls. Yeah, a lot. I hope trolls. the cosplay is up to a sufficiently high standard. What are you going to wear? What am I going to wear? Mm, I'm going to dress as a murderer. I mean, just Whatever. like words. Did now. you and Helen O'Hara <laughs> hosting this thing? Did you and Helen ask people to? You, you asked people to use just cosplay. It was mentioned, yes. Did, did you specify that they should be in cosplay from the Wheel of Wheel of Time or from you and, <laughs> you and Helen? People are going to turn up with bald masks and, you know... A black t-shirt. Did you see yeah. the person who came to the 250th live show with a Banana Crackers Cuckoo Bong t-shirt? What? 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 Did you not see no. this? No, are you yeah. taking? A guy, a guy, and 100%, and if you Shut are the guy up. who wore that, please write in uh. with a picture of your t-shirt because he came up... Because you know we were handing out cake, yeah. right? It was when you'd fucked off and left me to man the cake table on my own. Right. Remember that Do bit? Not even. Uh, uh, and I was I was handing out lemon chocolate cake, and a guy came up Bolt. to me, and he was wearing a cuckoo bong banana crackers <gasps> oh t-shirt. Oh my god! That's he was, Kay's own. Oh, he was one of the. What did we call your fan? Were they the K no, Lords? I can't remember because I don't think there are many. <laughs> I can't um, remember who they were. I didn't know that. But I, yeah, um, yeah, had a had please, a, a fan. A a fan. I don't. Yeah, send send a picture in, please. Send a picture in of that t-shirt so Kay can see it because she didn't see it the on the night. Is, they are my expressions, but I actually don't use them that much on this. You two use them. We've co-opted them. Yeah, it's cultural appropriation right here. I just thought, like you know, I. Use it in my real everyday life, but I don't want it to get annoying on here. Yeah. But you guys love us. Yeah, no, we like, we like a catchphrase. Yeah. All right, yeah, I'd love to see that that T-shirt, please. Yeah. I mean, okay, I, I forgot to speak to various people I said I'd speak to because of the because I was so exhausted from the first hour and a half. It was but like a Victorian lady. He swooned yeah, and went I couldn't off. go on stage for the cake interval bits. Yeah, yeah. while also, we were giving out the cake, up, Boyd was serve up cake. yeah, yeah. Boyd so had gone back to be fanned with palm fronds. In fact, now the break. <laughs> yeah, now you've mentioned it, Howard, who uh, who DM'd me on Twitter saying, "Can I you can go and see him?" I forgot about that. Sorry, Howard. Sorry, I didn't see you. You're you just going to have to pay for a cameo now, Howard, because that's the only way he meets his. I gave Howard some cake. Oh, well, thank oh, did you. you? Yeah, oh, good. I did. That's good. He obviously wanted the lemon drizzle because it was the best. Oh, oh, don't. Don't, don't sit down. <laughs> didn't, didn't I get an apology from um, uh, Kate Guy? Cray Bakes. Cray Bakes. Cray Bakes, yeah. yeah. Acknowledged, I think, that he was went a bit far. Yeah. In criticism of my... Yeah. He was just being honest. Decidedly amateur brownie, I believe, mm, is the... Uh, uh, yeah. Honest slash Can I just bitter. say, when we were dishing out the cake, um, James was being so tight, right? And saying... Was he? Yeah, like literally giving out crumbs. We had was many he? mouths to feed. Oh, because he didn't want he wanted, he wanted wanted everyone to get a, yeah. a, a bite. Oh, yeah, I wanted everyone but to be able to sample it. By the time I came and joined, 400 I was, people I was, just, I was just slicing up everyone, yeah. one of each. She was giving out loads oh of... I'm like, hey, this is not like... So the brownies went almost instantly because she was like giving whole brownies to people. Uh, I'm like, only like uh, four of them. So well, I still got some very good uh, yeah. notification. I got to try a little bit of each, so that was good. In fact, I took the remains of the the primary lemon drizzle cake, which did not go in its entirety, uh, to a picnic the next day. I went for a picnic in Hyde Park oh. with some friends, and I brought the rest of the lemon drizzle. Went down mm. very well. Anyway, we've gone slightly <laughs> off topic. Yeah, uh, let's have our first guest. Your this answer week. to what you've been watching question was so frankly in, in the pro- inadequate. Mm. Inadequate. <laughs> it was inadequate. But while we're talking about the Wheel of Time board, we should yes. mention that Ros Pike is here. Ros. On the show, Ros, Ros my That's close personal very, friend, Ros. Very uh, informal. Yeah. It's true. It's true. She is on the podcast to talk about the Wheel of Time. Now, of course, everyone got swept up with the Rings of Power, so it's easy to forget that Prime Video has another epic fantasy on their books. And the Wheel of Time did, of course, make its return last week with three episodes dropping at once. As I mentioned, we reviewed this in last week's Pilot Plus, but Rosamund Pike is here now. 
to talk about season two. She plays uh, Moraine Damadred, Aes Sedai of the Blue Aja, uh, and the woman in charge of saving the world. So that's nice. So here is Rosamund Pike talking to Wheel of Time superfan Helen O'Hara, who has her geek turned up to 11. So yeah, welcome back. Welcome back with season two of Thank Wheel you. of Time. Um, it, I know you're already in the mi- middle of filming season three, so it must be quite difficult to cast your mind back. It's not because we're in in the world, right? Um, completely. People, our, most of our cast haven't seen the whole of season two, so they're doing crew and cast screenings at the moment. So we're, you know, it's, it, everybody's excited about the release, every, mm. and also where we're taking it in season three. So it's a big melting pot of excitement over here in Prague <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> awesome. I, I mean, I'm no just cards on the table. I'm a huge fan of the books. I've read them I don't know how many times because I used to read all the previous ones when a new one came out. Um, and, uh, and and it strikes me just having watched the first three episodes of season two, no spoilers, but it feels like even when things go in a different direction, go via a different route, we're still hitting a lot of the sort of key character moments and the key plot moments in these books, even when you know the route to get there has been totally changed because obviously the books are massive and sprawling and probably impossible to film as written. I mean, is I'm that glad... sort of something you're, you guys are working on? I'm glad you say that because mm-hmm. I always marvel at um, how the writers do that. And I've, I've, I've just done the first three books on audio book. And, and so I've come to really, really know the books deeply because, you know, maybe not as deeply as you, but, but, <laughs> but it, you inhabit and live through all the characters. Um, so I've lived inside all of them um, to a degree. And I always marvel at how the writers, okay, they might do it by a different route, exactly as you say, but the, the, the key things, the things that really matter will be touched on, will be referenced, and we might not do them in the order that they appear in the books, but we will get there and they will be touched on. Or um, there'll be a tribute to those moments if we can't put them on screen exactly as they are in the books. Um, and of course, one of the big problems is the interiority. You know, the, one of Robert Jordan's genius things in the books is how he, particularly with Rand, particularly with Perrin, how they do battle with what's inside them versus you know, who they think they want to be and who they've been hitherto. And it's this big internal struggle that that's very, very hard to represent on screen. And I think, you know, when you speak, I don't know if you get a chance to speak to Yosha Stradowski, but his understanding of Rand is so profound and so deep. Um, and also the, 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 the loneliness of Rand, the sort of, and, and, and where he finds himself, for instance, in the mental facility, mm. you know, being a, an, order, uh, an orderly in, in, in a mental institution, he said, you know, in a way he's dealing with, Rand's dealing with his own mental health as he, you know, comes to terms with this massive struggle of of resisting destiny while embracing it and yearning for home, yearning for the time before he knew any of this. Yeah. And actually he finds a kind of peace with with the mad, you yeah. know. It's it's very there's huge <laughs> as you know, there are there are huge sort of meditations on all kinds of things in these books on slavery which is a huge part of our our season two with the mm-hmm. Sean Chan which is a you know they're a fantastic adversary for all our characters in season two and brilliantly conceived and powerfully visualized in terms of their the art the might of their army the threat of them the masked wearers the battle armor that it's they're creepy and disturbing and I think they'll be very very I think fans will be very, de- well, d- delighted is the wrong word. I'm trying to think, you know, 
impressed and awed yeah. by them. Um, and obviously for my character, I've you know, Moraine has diverted from her course in the books, but only so that we can explore those aspects of her character that are so vital, which mm-hmm. is sometimes overshadowed by her use of the one power. So Moraine is a is a is is a she's a blue aja. She's a she's in the spy network. She's a calculating, manipulative, clever person who is always one step, several steps ahead. You know, with a plan within a plan within a plan. And so stripped of the one power, yes, we see her agony of losing that, which is her greatest fear. So we see her con confront something that makes her terribly human but we still see her drive and her metal and her courage and her commitment you know i always mm. say moraine has a cause for which she's prepared to die yeah you know, to borrow nelson mandela's amazing uh, obviously uh unforgettable speech but but she has that and so the risks that she'll take because of that are sort of absolute and 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 awe-inspiring i think yeah she, she is an amazing character because she is, I mean, for anybody out there who, you know, either has, you know, forgotten season one or hasn't watched it yet, um, she is kind of the Gandalf of the group in the sense that she's the very powerful outsider who turns up and, and you know, starts the adventure, if you like, in some ways. Um, but I feel like, you know, she's 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 not quite Gandalf because of the reasons you've just said, because she, she has a whole... Whole, whole lot more going on and, and a whole different very different context but what I find fascinating is is that you see it in in the, the few episodes I've watched of this season uh how much yes she wants to have this power yes she she is you know, kind of addicted to it as they all are who can use the one power and she depends on it and relies on it and has relied on it for her whole life but there is so much more to her and uh, I think you're, you're seeing her kind of still making a decision in those episodes that, okay, yes, I, I can't do what I could normally do, but I'm going to keep going on my mission. That is still the priority. That is still the focus, which is an extraordinary thing to bring to life. Yes. And she has that qualities of the zealot in her. And I actually like Maureen most when she's making decisions that we might not like. You know, she makes decisions concerning her relationship with Lan that, that's really uncomfortable and upsetting. Um, but I think that's where Moraine is interesting because of her toughness in in and and the way that she will prioritize her mission above personal happiness, above um you know, close connections, relationships. She has one thing, one thing that she has loyalty to. And it's it's when you really see it come out that that the fierceness behind her loyalty it's it's frightening it's mm. it's frightening and impressive and that's when i find her most appealing actually <laughs> those it, those scenes are hard to watch actually her uh, some of the, the sort of not an arguments the wrong word between her and lan early in the season but certainly tension and and tension and and under, dissent maybe dis- dissent yeah that's a good word and and discomfort because of course these two have had the security of their bond which is sealed with the one power and it means that they have felt one another's feelings for the last you know 20 years they've they've they haven't had to talk like people they haven't had to communicate like we do so without that they're kind of sort of stripped and they don't know how to be they're they're both feeling ashamed and uncomfortable and there's a massive disconnect and it's um it was certainly interesting to explore i didn't enjoy it i mean i love moraine's relationship with lan it's one of the great reasons that attracted me to these to playing the part 
So to be apart from him and and not have that, you know, we, Daniel and I had so much fun in season one, psychically becoming aware of one another in space. So there are so many things you can convey about that relationship, just even such things as when they're still, when they decide to move off, they move off together. It's like Mm -hmm. a it's tiny things, you know, they turn, they they read one another's body language, they know one another in space and all of that we we love doing. So to be without it was was upsetting. <laughs> it's it's a it's a difficult thing though, because it, it's it's gonna have a very different energy this season simply because um and this reflects the books absolutely, but you know, everyone has now split up, everyone mm-hmm. is now essentially on their own paths, and those paths will cross and intersect and people will meet each other again but it, you know it does feel like everyone's kind of suffering after the end of last season and is now trying to pick up the pieces and and get going again you know and we have to be careful because the, you know we in a fantasy show like this with with the kind of you know dramatic events that come you know you've got a whole lot of very traumatized characters <laughs> but you can't sort of wallow in trauma you've got to also acknowledge that give it space and also you know move on because there's more to come there's more you you, you you've you've got to go on with the mission. You've got to stand on your feet, be resilient. So resilience is a huge part of who these characters mm-hmm. are. Um, and and with Moraine, her, her main focus becomes Rand. You know, that is her, he is her life's mission. And she is, she's battling always between being able to cede control and wanting control of him and accepting that he has power and will of his own and feeling that she's duty bound to steer him yeah. and guide him. And he doesn't want to be a puppet on her strings. He is obviously far more powerful than she is, but as yet he's unschooled. So he needs her and resists her mm. and doesn't know if he can trust her because Aes Sedai are, everybody knows that they can only tell the truth because that's one of the things that they swear when they become Aes Sedai, but they have so many ways of twisting that truth so you still don't really trust them. Yeah, um, it's it, it's one of the incredibly fun things about that entire order. And we we get to see obviously, you know, more more of the Aes Sedai characters here. We've got yes, you know, you've got um, great uh, the girls in the tower, and, and uh, you meeting up with with Mira Sayal's Varen as well, who's a again no spoilers, but she's a massive favorite. I think of everyone who's read the books. She is, she is, and 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 Mira is, you know, Mira just got her BAFTA fellowship um, recently and, you know, was absolutely adamant that she wanted Verin to be in there when, you know, her reel was shown on the screen. And, um, you know, it's she she's very, very, very happy to be in the show and we're very, very lucky to have her. Um, we've got so many Aes Sedai coming and we've got these amazing women, these global cast, you know, we've got women who bring such a lot just by their backgrounds to the table and to the show. It really is very exciting. When you go just, you know, you just go past the stunt gym and you think, wow, we've got, <laughs> look at these women. I mean, you go in there and you see, you know, Jen Garcia, who who plays Liana, you know, you see her kickboxing for two hours in the morning every day, you know, and this is Liana, who's the watcher, you know, the, the um, keeper of the seals in the hall of the tower and you just see the power of this woman. So every moment of stillness, you know, it's counterpoint is what mm. these women are capable of. Yeah. 
That's amazing. Yeah. I wouldn't have, I, I, I wouldn't have thought of her kickboxing on the page, but I'm very excited right. to see it. <laughs> well, no, this is just no, her not training. even. Yeah, this this is that's her just training. Her, I'm not just saying her that, that appears in the show. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not saying that we'll ever see that, but it's knowing that you know that's just part of her fitness regime. That that's that this is the power in these women that we're seeing on the screen. That's amazing. I guess I want to ask really about the, the appeal of of fantasy. And I think it's it's some of the stuff that you've you've talked about already, which is that we can have these very human emotions and these very human interactions, relationships, um, and issues coming up. And then also the fun of this epic, you know, unstoppably high stakes of this of this kind of world. You know, is that why this story and, and stories like this have worked and why, you know, geeks like me read them every year, basically. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm very interested to see. I think it's different for everyone, isn't it? Mm. What what first attracted you to them? I'd love to know, you know, what, what was it one character in particular? Was it, um, can you remember a moment where you just thought this is amazing? I think, well, I, I'll tell you what, for, I mean, for, for Wheel of Time in particular, obviously I was already in the fantasy bag since... Okay near birth anyway with you know cs lewis and J.R. tolkien but um but i loved that there were a variety of female characters and not the usual one girl in a team of guys i mean you've been that girl in a team of guys and in, in some of the films oh. and things you've done in the past um but that's the usual ratio and here we have at least as many women as men i've never counted up i hope no one has it'll take ages but um but you know it feels it feels like a much more in some ways, I think anyway, reflective of of real life that there are women who do things as well as men who do things, and I think Hollywood sometimes forgets that. I, I am completely with you. You know, I think battle, you know, war um, has always almost been the prism through which Hollywood views masculinity, um, and it's been the preserve. It's almost the lens that we apply, and and I think, you know, the war film, not that you know, fantasy is the same, but the war mm-hmm. film has been you know, are synonymous with masculinity. And, you know, there is plenty of war in fantasy. You know, there are these, okay, we we call them battles, but we also call them the war of power, the 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 war of um the hundred years, the war of the Aiel war, you know, war comes into it. And um and we absolutely know that women were at the forefront of these wars in this and and you know what how does it look if you know, going into battle that night before they go over the top. You know, it's it's some woman giving a man the courage to, you know, face the enemy rather yeah. than, you know, two men, you know, giving their brotherly bravado. It's 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 different. And that's the the those are the opportunities we get in fantasy. Mm-hmm. I mean the Aiel culture, which we come to meet in season two, they are a culture of warriors who live in the desert who suffer tremendous or endure tremendous hardships of that landscape, the sun, the relentless heat, the lack of water. And they're a culture of of women who they call maidens of the spear, who wed themselves to war, to fighting uh, uh, before any, um, before marriage, conventional marriage that we think of. Um, And they're awesome fighters. And, you know, we have. Have you seen it already? We see Perrin meet Avienda in. Not yet. I think um, I've only seen the first three. I think that must be just uh, must just be after where we got must to. Be I think up. so. Okay. Yeah. We see Perrin meets Avienda, who, you know, is a. He's never seen anyone fight like that, and then and then she's a woman, and she just 
and she's as nonchalant as anything about it. She and she calls it a dance. She asks mm. if he likes to dance, and he's a bit thrown. And dancing to her is 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 fighting. Mm. That's yeah. that's the dance, the dance of the spears. And you know, there's just there's just wonderful, wonderful stuff in this world. Um, and I love it. I love it. I I can see why you why you embraced it so readily. And then I suppose by the time you get to the end of book 14, you've forgotten what happened in book one, so you have to start again anyway. Well, you may as well start again, yeah. <laughs> the wheel, the wheel the, turns. The wheel of time turns. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, how about your, your role as producer as well? Has that has that been important this season or was it more about getting it off the ground in the first place? No, no, it's, it's continued. It's deepened, mm-hmm. I suppose. And I still, you know, retain, you know, my, my goal really is to keep, you know, pushing this series to be as good as it can be and and to be something that that endures that that's a sort of library show for amazon in 20 years time i mean long after i'm you know gone from it and and it's you know no longer in production it, it, i want it to be a show that 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 people will still seek out like you know people seek out the books yeah. um you know i'm trying to be <clears throat> a, a representative a mouthpiece for the actors you know with the studio express concerns you know we've got a lot of you know i'm more experienced than a lot of our cast just in terms of what i've seen in the business trying to be a you know an ally in all those things which i think as a producer you become a point of contact for mm-hmm. for them to come to when there are worries on all kinds of you know pastoral levels and professional levels um as well as you know weighing in on edits and you know music and all all the all the normal things that's awesome. I, I saw you're also uh, working as producer on another favourite book of mine, The Three Body Problem, which uh, ah. I was on set of last year and uh, cannot wait to see that one as well. Oh, uh, extraordinary yes. scale. I mean, that is one of the great science fiction books of the last you know, few years. I mean, we, my partner and I, um, you know, we, we have a great interest in China and we felt that there were so many stories coming out of China novels that had not yet been translated. I mean, we were aware of the three body problem before it was translated. It took, I mean, it had won every prize going in China before and, and been reached a huge readership before it was even translated into English. Um, and then my partner actually went and met Liao Tzu Shin when he was in London for a book signing of book three, I think. And we we sort of hounded him and then found the you know got to the rights holders who would was not him any longer and and then we're thrilled when we were able to partner with Netflix um and then I mean handed over because we had the best sort of writers in the business we had yeah. Benioff and Benioff and, and then so um so with Dan and David on board we we sort of you know they should take it away as they as they have and I hope it will. I hope it will satisfy you, fans of the book, and you know, bring a whole big audience it's, to that it's world. Pretty, it's pretty. I mean, these, this, these are epic jobs that you're taking on. I mean, is it almost a relief yeah. when you actually just go and act in something? I know you did uh, Emerald Fennell's film, I think, last year as well. Is it almost like, oh, I can just, I can just act? Oh here. yes, you know that that was a joy. It was a very. It was a world that I felt like I knew, you know, there's 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 certain codes that you know, whereas in fantasy there's there are no codes, no rules, everything can be pushed. So an emerald and also I got to be funny in an emerald film. And Moraine is, you know, she's many things, but she's not funny. <laughs> 
and she takes herself very seriously. And sometimes I wish she could lighten up a bit, if I'm honest, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's not, not Moraine. It's, it's <laughs> not, you know, she doesn't even smile really, Moraine. So, uh, um, you know, when we're finally allowed to release our behind the scenes videos, you know, Daniel and I have a lot of fun doing Moraine and Land's lines in completely different ways, which maybe one day we'll be able to share. Um, but, you know, on on screen, Moraine is very single minded and you don't you don't. And, and, and yet in season two, it's interesting that we we have a few characters who's, who allude to how she was before she was tasked with this massive thing, you know, of finding the dragon reborn. People say, I wish you'd known her. 20 years ago, she was much more free or, you know, we have that little glimpse into her and Lan's relationship when they mm. met. And we get glimpses that she wasn't always like this. But, um, but now she's got a mission. Yep. And of course, yeah. for which she's prepared to die. So, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Well, listen, I'd be better, better let, let you get back to the mission. Um, so we'll let you, let you go. But thank you so much, um, Rosamund Pike. Thank you. That was Rosamund Pike and Helen O'Hara. Uh, time now, I think, for this week's listener question. Uh, let's see what we've got here. I This is from Maria. And Maria says, question for the pod. What reality show... This is reality-themed this week's episode, yeah. unfortunately. This is, this, is, this has not gone well. Uh, what reality shows would you like to see take place in which fictional TV worlds? Location, location, location on and or married at first sight in Westeros. There you, go. you go first. I've got the definitive answer to this question. Oh, do no, you I now? I think yeah. I have. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, no, think... don't look at oh. mine. Don't look at mine. Oh, no, no. Okay. Well, I'm just going to check, but I want to check because if... if... <laughs> no, no. Do the same one. I don't care. Oh, it's similar. It's similar. Oh, no, no. I'll put up with it. I'll put up with it. Oh, well, James, James can decide who wins. Yeah, okay. since I've almost got nothing to contribute to I mean, this. It's so, so carry similar. On. I say MasterChef. Right. Which is, as any fool knows, mm-hmm. the best reality... In the world of Hannibal. Cooking... No, no, like <laughs> that would have been good. Cooking <laughs> thing format out there with a, a crossover of the bear, right? Upcoming boiling point, a devil yes. from the film yeah. set in a restaurant. Whites with Alan Davis, which was a brilliant comedy, underrated, only lasted for a season, which is he played a chef working yeah. in a restaurant. Chef, the sitcom with Lenny Henry, in which he played a chef. Well, this really is a working mashup. in a restaurant. Mammals with James Corden, who she played a chef, oh, yeah. opening his Just own to be restaurant. Clear, you'd, everything you could yes. think of with chefs in it. Yes. You're putting them on Master yes. Chef. So you'd have a massive crossover. And Sarah Lancashire is Julia Childs. Oh, yeah, that's Yes, from Julia. So you'd have all of these characters, these fictional chefs. Actually, Julia Childs was a real chef, of course, but in, you know, in, in, in the. Is Ainsley Harriet on here as well? And I could throw, I could throw in Harriet. <laughs> I could also throw in Hannibal. Hannibal's a good idea, actually. Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Yeah. Hannibal Lecter in there. Today we're serving Boyd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you have a big mashup of all the best chef-related shows with the MasterChef format. How good is that? I don't know what the MasterChef format is. So. MasterChef format is basically presumably they cook things. Great, they cook things, yeah. and um, it, it's all about the judging. Really, Greg and Thingy judge it. John T. Road. John T. Road. And um, I used to think his name was John T. Road. <laughs> That's good. That's easy to remember his name. I can't remember his name. Um, they're just a series of cooking challenges, including like sometimes they have to cook for um, previous winners of MasterChef. Sometimes they have to cook for restaurant critics. Um, and you know, there's different like there's I all kinds of different challenges. Can't believe you're having to explain what MasterChef. Oh, yeah, is. I know. But it is the best. It is the best cooking TV format. As 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 Chris Stewart will agree with me, he will tell you about that. He's a big fan of MasterChef, quite rightly. So yeah, celebrity MasterChef with the bare boiling point whites, uh, chef mammals. Julia, 
and Hannibal. You covered all the bases there. Okay, I was less comprehensive in my in my answer. You won't be uh, surprised to hear. So I was going to go down the Master Chef route, mm. right? But then I thought because I was going to cross it with the bear. But then I thought, well, no, they're already chefs, and you know, so that's too same same. I was like, what other food show can I have? Master Chef, the professionals. Just saying. Carry on. Boy, do this is my time to answer. <laughs> okay. No, <laughs> no. Um, I went for Ready Steady Cook. With Ainsley Harriet. Do you remember that classic, classic cooking show, James? I've he heard just of asked, it. He just oh, no, asked yeah, but, but I was thinking more in terms of can't cook, won't cook. Oh. Which so I, I, I again, have never watched. was when they used to have, um, you'd get a plastic bag, right? Right. No expense spared. Okay. Red peppers, or what was it? Red peppers? Uh, can't remember, red and a green. Anyways, you'd get random items in a bag and you had to, the chef had to make something out of it. So I thought, how fancy, Kami, um, all of them, having to cook something from a random bag of produce. Oh, I see. I see what yeah. you're saying. Okay, I wait a minute. I just heard that tumbleweed podcast. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> no, that I could work. That could work. I actually tried this time. <laughs> I mean, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you put more thought into it than I have, to be perfectly honest with you. But then I don't have much of a pool to draw from because I don't know any of the reality TV shows. You must know one. I don't know. What would I like to see? I mean, I'd maybe like to see, okay, okay, The Apprentice, but with the guys from The Wire. Like Avon Barksdale oh. goes in and pitches That's his... It would be Stringer more than anything. Stringer was like the business guy. He'd go in and then pitches to Alan Sugar his idea for branching out the, you know, drug business in Baltimore. Okay, so who wins this? Not to make everything a competition. It's not a competition. I haven't finished yet. I've got other other ideas oh. that I'm just going to pull out. The Traitors, I think, has got legs mm. if you have the good people. So I, initially I thought, would the Traitors work well with the crew of the Enterprise? Would that be fun? Don't ruin the Traitors for me. I think that would be fun. But then I thought, well, no, they're doing it in Castle. Let's go full Game of Thrones. Or Wheel of Time, take your pick. One of those fancy shows and have them all in there. Because then when the Traitors kill someone, they'd actually fucking kill them. Mm. And so it would actually take them to a whole other level. You could also do the Traitors in Slow Horses world as well can you like the tra- that. oh that would work yeah. well wouldn't See, it because they're yeah. actual spies yeah. oh that would be good oh, that's a good answer. that would be good and yeah. uh jackson lamb would be hilarious yeah exactly oh. yeah yeah no that's good no, i've yeah. sold on that I'd, I'd, I'd prefer that to the fancy mm. idea actually yeah it's good okay so ready steady cook crossed with the bear sure but but like would would you get like could if you could have a smattering of fictional characters and stick them in the big brother house mm. that could be quite fun yeah, like taking individual characters and just out of their element and just dropping them in. Yeah, we should think of our ultimate housemates. Not now. I think I think if I were doing a, a if I were doing a Big Brother house, I'd want Arnold Rimmer from Red Dwarf in there for the lols. I'd want Logan Roy. Logan sure. Roy, yes. Edmund Blackadder. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. <laughs> um, who else would I have in there? I would have Josh. From the West Wing. Oh, I was going to go for the Prez. Yeah, no, I want really Josh better. in there as well. I don't think he'd take it very well. Um, yeah. Who else would we have, Boydie? Who's in our Big Brother house? It's, um, it's, okay, fictional characters. I might want Del Boy. Oh. Yeah, that's so Derek cool. Trotter. Derek yeah. Trotter. Um, Nick the I'd like to see him with Logan Roy together. <laughs> I'm sure they'd get him famously. I think the OA, the you know, <laughs> the, literal, the, OA, the literal yeah, OA in Marlin's there as well. OA, obviously. doing doing the movements in the yeah. Big Brother house oh in the morning God, the on the balcony. Absolutely, do the movements. <laughs> and then traveling to another dimension there yeah. by being disqualified yeah. from the house. Someone was telling me about a band or something that does the movements. Really, as yeah, part of their like set, part of their thing. That's amazing. Yeah, or, yeah something like that. Yeah. You, there is one of the things where I would love to interview Britt Marley and be like, "Can you still do the movements? Do them mm. for me now." Oh my god, yeah, <laughs> that would be. See so if she remembers the movements. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you hosted would, your own chat show, you could do that. I would like yeah. to see David Rose from Shit's Creek going in there. Yes, would you? That'd yes, that would be brilliant. Yes, that's yeah, a good shout, actually. He's David. very funny. 
Okay, this 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 format has legs. Mm. Unfortunately, they're fictional characters, so we can't make it happen. Yeah, that's true. Probably for the best. If you would like your question, <laughs> frankly, mutilated on this podcast, do send it over to us via DM on Twitter. Yeah, it was. Or, or Instagram at Pilot TV Pod. Or to me directly at James C. Dyer. Uh, I tend to see those ones, let's be honest, sooner. Shall we move on now to the wonderful world of news? And I'm going to share a bit of news with you both, which I don't think you know about because it broke while we were recording Whoa. the previous half of this podcast. Mm. And it is that much as you might want to see it, the Idol season two. Oh, yes, no. I saw that. Yeah, it's we, not happening. Yeah. That was my news. Yeah. That was my news as well. Oh, yeah. so that's news done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literally. Yeah. But what are your thoughts? Um, I'm not disappointed by that. No. Because I didn't continue to watch it. Although, Boyd, you said the finale is quite good, didn't you? Um, um, it was, it was, I was entertained by it. I wouldn't say it was uh, quite good is probably going a bit far. I mean, the actual ending ending is ridiculous. Um, it's, it's totally stupid. But the whole... It's all a blur to me is what happened in which episode, obviously, which isn't, which isn't news because obviously my memory is going. But there was this, it might have been the finale where basically all these different people like performed, um, like it was like it's episode of The X Factor or something. They all That's what everyone yeah. does. Which considering it was cut down from six to five episodes, felt like even more of a filler. They played all of these songs all the way through and the doofus idiot main character played by The weekend, um, kind of sat in judgment or got slow and more and more kind of drug-addled and mm. drunk and everything as it were on. But it was a complete... We can say it now, can't we, without fear of uh, contradiction, mm-hmm. that it was an absolute disaster, really, yeah. that, that show. A shit show. It had promise because the the milieu, mm-hmm. if I can use that word, and you I have, have um, of a huge pop star and her retinue, entourage, whatever, her publicist, her um, tour manager all of the record company head, all of that I really liked. And and a lot of that was really funny and well done. But then all this, just everything else, the, the, the weekend's character, I know his real name, whatever his real name is. Um, Abel. Thank you. Um, his whole character was just terrible. And, and you had to believe that this extraordinarily beautiful young woman played by Lily Rose Depp, who was supposed to be, that's her character, mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure in the pervy scriptures described even more, blatantly than that, yeah. her physicality. You had to believe that she would fall instantly. I don't know there were plot twists and turns for this no, absolute monstrous figure. Horrendous With monster, a rat no. tail and everything. Oh, the rat <laughs> yeah. tail. And then would let him do all these things to her without going into the gory <laughs> details. It was just, it was like a show in which it had, half of it was great, actually, yeah. and funny and well-observed well and authentic yeah. and believable. And the whole other half of it was monstrously stupid and annoying and irritating. <laughs> and... They never, they just never melded them together. And I think what happened was because famously, the original <laughs> version of this show was directed by a female director, and I haven't got it to hand to the details. And she just left the whole project mm-hmm. and they just reshot the whole thing pretty yeah. much. And I, my guess is, and I don't know for sure, but my guess is that the original version was all about the entourage and the experience of being a pop star and the whole weird semi cult, but not quite a cult, and his character kind of you know, brainwashing her or not. That was that was the stuff that has been brought to the fore in this version. And that's why they I haven't got a second agree. season. If they were stuck with the original conception of the show, All I think it would have got a second season. the managers, publicist yeah. Dan Levy. Dan Levy, who mysteriously appeared for, half, for literally for about half a second in episode one and then disappeared. Yeah, because he yeah. knew. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he knew. So yeah, my feelings are, 
I wouldn't have even minded if they had a second season just got rid of the weekend and just let them do all the rest of the other stuff. Would have been fine. But oh my God, yeah. The weekend, every contribution he made. I've no I think the weekend's great, by the way. I like a lot of his songs. He'll be he'll be thrilled to know. I'm sure. He will be. But he's not an actor. He's not a TV writer. And and this that, that show was It's a just that character. Mistake. When you talked about rat's tail there, for some reason I thought, can you imagine if James had a rat's tail? A rat's tail. Kind of tail. can imagine it. Are they, is that like a little like a like a Jedi Padawan braid, like a little Yeah. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. Well, yeah. I did have long hair back when I had hair. Did you ever have a rat tail? I never had a rat tail. Mm. I had a ponytail and an undercut at one point. That was not a good look. Ooh, we need ponytail and an undercut. I didn't, wow. to be fair, I had an undercut and I sometimes put it in a ponytail. <laughs> it, bet, wasn't like, it wasn't like a look. I bet ponies you on a undercut. bit Dawson's <laughs> Do you look a bit like the comic, stri- the comic book owner in, um, in The Simpsons? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think you'll find. Uh, I did. A character based on you. Basically, yeah. Uh, I, have some, I have some news for you. Okay. And it involves... We had some news just now, but it turned out we all knew that news. Yeah. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Okay, well, you might know this news as well. This, this news up. involves poppycock. Oh, yes, I know this. Yeah, so this is Aaron Korsh, the showrunner of Suits, has revealed exclusively to Hollywood Reporter that the royal family weighed in on some of the seasons of the show when Meghan Markle was still on it uh, and changed some of the scripts. Crucially, he has no idea how the royal family got advanced copies of the script to feed back. But specifically, he said there was an in-joke where there's a thing where his family have a thing where uh, if someone's talking about something and they they use the word poppycock, like it's, it's like an in-joke with his family, and so he told them he'd put it in the script. So Meghan Markle was going to say, you know, in my family, we'd say poppycock. Apparently, he goes on to say, he said, uh, in the episode, he says, Mike and Rachel were going to have a thing. As not to my in-laws, we were going to have a say, my family would say poppycock. And the royal family did not want her saying the word. They didn't want to put the word poppycock in her mouth. I presume because they didn't want people cutting things together of her saying cock. <laughs> so we had to change it to bullshit instead of poppycock. That is good. And I did not like it because I told my in-laws that Poppycock was going to be in the show. There was maybe one or two more things, but I can't remember. Uh, like I said, so I, I think he was quite put, silly, out it? It. Mm. quite put out by it. Quite put out by it. Do we think that's the reason? Or do we, do we think it's because they didn't want her saying a word that could be cut to cock? Yes, oh, completely. Or do we think yeah. it's because Poppycock is a very sort of no, British like... No, no. Because they didn't want yeah, to, yeah, totally. Oh, you can't James. have a word with cock in but the But she title. says bullshit instead. Is that yeah, it? but, but cock. like cock. Cock literally coming out of yeah, her mouth. Exactly. In her mouth. Steady. It's not good, James. <laughs> Steady, yeah. yeah. It's true. I mean, no, they spelled it out because he wasn't getting it. No, he wasn't getting it. I mean, it had to really double down on that and be very explicit about what yeah. they wanted to avoid. Wow. It's like you shouldn't be able to go to Cockfosters either. <laughs> <laughs> or Scunthorpe. <laughs> that could be the funniest thing you've ever said. <laughs> oh, yes. yes. I've got to remove the word cock from her mouth. That's the point. Yes, that's yeah, the right. word. The word. <laughs> I was going to talk about um, something on that and just like that it's just reminded me. Her okay. cat. Her little baby oh, cat. Oh God, yeah. no. No. That needs to go. I know. Yeah. That's awful. The reason I thought that up is yeah, because of I the know. word that yes, could yes, have yes. used. Uh, <laughs> I got it. Any any other news no, you would like to discuss? Oh yeah, this was a nice thing. I just wanted to mention this um, which is that with the fucking strike still going on, yeah. unbelievably, language. the writer's strikes, <laughs> language, Timothy, <laughs> that all of the late night hosts, the current late night chat show hosts in America, who funnily enough are all white middle-aged men, so just a nice reminder of that, Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Seth Meyers and John Oliver have come together to do a new podcast and they're called The Strike Force Five and they're going to discuss the writer's strike particularly um, on a week by week basis and they're going to launch it uh, in fact today as we're recording this Wednesday 30th on Spotify Apple Podcasts and all the other platforms be 12 episodes and all of the proceeds from it will go to the WGA 
um, obviously people who are going through a really tough time in the strike because it's been going for five effing months. I think months. it's great. Yeah, that's a brilliant idea. Yeah, I think. it's fantastic. Um, of course, I think they all appeared, um, along with David Letterman, Letterman, amazingly, on James Gordon's last ever show in a VT he did, with all the, all, which was absolutely incredible. One of the most incredible things you've seen. Or maybe John Oliver didn't, but the rest of them did, I think. But that is a brilliant idea, and they're doing it, and it'll be out today. Love it'll be that. out now once you listen to this podcast. Uh, Noah Hawley's Alien show has stopped production in Thailand. Mm-hmm. It had been going on, but only the British cast were able to film their scenes because obviously oh, equity, weird, not it? SAG. But now I think they've run out of stuff. They do for a the hasty rewrite just with yeah. British actors. And now they need the Americans, so they've had to stop. Oh, dear. So, yeah. sorry, Aliens fans. Um, any other news? There was a new show with, news of a new show with Jenna Coleman. Did you read about this BBC no. drama, The Jetty? I only mentioned it because I think everything that Jenna Coleman's done since Doctor Who has been really good. Like she's cho- chosen really good choices, the, the, the show she's been in. Um, and this is a four-part series asking big questions about sexual morality, Kay. Mm-hmm. Which I know it's very important to you. It is. Identity. Yes. Memory, which is very important okay. to me because I'm losing it. <laughs> um, in the places that Me Too has left behind. Oh, wow. Mm. So that, I have to say, kudos to the publicist who wrote that description because that's got me in. I'm in now with that whole idea. So you know when it's coming out? It's um she plays filming. she plays a rookie detective. Um it's just been announced four part series. It was announced at the Edinburgh TV Festival. I think it'll be a while because I think they're making it now. Yeah. It's written and created by Kat Jones, who worked on Harlots, East Enders, Waterloo Road, etc. Uh yeah, there we go. Exciting, exciting project. Is that it for news? That's it. Are we done with news? Yes. yes. Right, we've finished with news. Time for our next guest. It's Johnny Flynn, star of The Lovers, uh, which comes to Sky Atlantic this week, and in this he plays a narcissistic TV host called Seamus. Kay's making little heart symbols with her hands. Uh, <laughs> I know where you're going to fall on this particular review when we get into it. Anyway, he plays a TV host called Seamus whose paths cross with a foul-mouthed supermarket worker with a death wish, uh, only for their lives to become instantly entwined. you hear a little bit more about that later, but uh, in the meantime, here's Boydie and Johnny Flynn. Hi, Johnny. Uh, hey. Welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast. How's it going? I'm um, really good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on The Lovers. It's, uh, it's a proper rom-com, isn't it? It's a proper romantic comedy um, that I think involves you right from the off in, in the lives of these two very different people. What do you think, is, having made it and started it, what do you think is the secret to, to, to a good romantic comedy? I mean, there's the different... We talked a lot when we were researching this and talking you know rehearsing it about the different archetypal rom-coms and and trying to find references for something like this but this is the this is the odd couple isn't it this is um that's this is the mismatched couple who despite um their differences they realize it's 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 perfect somehow you know there's a long there's a brilliant long lineage of all that stuff probably going back to um the 20s and things like the, the front page or something like that and um i loved i love i love feeling part of that noble lineage of 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 light ent you know mm. uh as it were um that yeah. is there's a lot of science behind it um but with this i the main thing was that that me and rasheen got on and had a had a rapport and and i couldn't have been luckier in that regard she's just um she's so fantastic and just so such a brilliant actress and we became best mates so that was that that felt a lot hinged on that and i, and I landed on my feet really yeah i think you're right that, that i mean i love a good rom-com but you're right the casting is so key isn't it and having two leads who 
have that chemistry. Did you did you do a famous chemistry read together? Did you establish that 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 was going to work at, at kind of early on in the casting process? We, we did, yeah. We um, I quite a few people came in to read, and uh, a lot of brilliant actresses. And and it's always a weird thing if you're the person who's been cast to you feel like a traitor you know you're and the, and the producer producers are asking you to give feedback and stuff but um and and everyone was brilliant and i obviously won't name the people that came in but when rasheen came in it was like oh my god that's for me that was that was it and um i'd never met her before and um something about her that's so real and relatable and um but also just vulnerable and, and um, yeah, so it, it just seemed, it seemed kind of obvious to me that, that she was the right person. And uh, we were lucky we had quite a lot of rehearsal time with Justin Martin, the director, who comes from a lot of um, theatre, as as do Rasheen and I. So we we felt comfortable with, with that and having, having time to figure out the dynamics and... Um, Although having said that, you know, so much of m- the TV magic, you know, it really is just something that happens accidentally in that moment. And and I think you can you can try too hard, you can over-rehearse things. And we get to a point in rehearsals where it's like, ah, we can't, we can't let's, please, let's stop looking at this scene. You know, just wait till the day because we could, we could mess it up. Yeah, but yeah. And David Ireland, who wrote it, he's also from a theatre background, I guess, as well. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so it was a bunch of theatre people trying to make a TV thing, right. Um, right. which which is fun. Uh, and I felt like sometimes we were hitting the, I don't know what the right analogy is, hitting the peg too hard on the head or something. You know, we would, yeah. in in rehearsals we we would we chunk and would really work it out. And I, I I guess I know from I've been in a few kind of sitcommy things and um, or single camera. Uh, comedies and um you know the i think really magic stuff is is quite incidental and and is is just something that occurs to you on the day and um if the writing's good which it was uh in this case it it, yeah you can overwork it so but it was fun um being with people who had that background and being a bit kind of feeling a bit vulnerable we all felt maybe at times kind of fish out of water Mm. um but leading each other and helping each other and and at least bringing that sense of collaboration that is so strong in theatre. I think TV and film, when you're working with actors who've done a lot of TV screen work, you can see that when you're doing their coverage and they're sort of not, they're in their own bubble because they know that they've just created to create something for the camera and that it's not reliant on you and you're there feeding them the line and if you're working with theatre actors they're really staring at you and because that's that's the discipline uh there is the transmission of energy between people that that the audience reads whereas in tv and film it's it's just for the camera so um it was fun to have that real sense of trust with somebody like Rasheen who knows how it works in theatre um and then hopefully that that reads on screen and I think I think the show does have quite unusually long scenes that just like maybe between the two of you, you know, for a kind of TV, yeah. as you say, like for this kind of genre. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And that that was that was what we did need to rehearse the mechanics of um, 
you know, those long single camera shots with, with a steady cam walking down the train platform or whatever, you know, the, yeah. the, the push and pull and the different dynamics and hitting all those different beats that, that did need quite a lot of work. So having, yeah, having people who were willing to, to work on it in that way, I think it was good having a theatre background. What did you make of your character Seamus when you first um, read the script? Because as a me- member of the Metropolitan Media Elite, I instantly recognised him. <laughs> Good. Um, Phew. My, yeah. uh, my, my, my grand plan work. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, there was, I, I took a, a pinch of, um, uh, you know, Robert Peston and a little soup song of um, Andrew Marr and a little squeeze of Dermot O'Leary. And, you know, I, I watched these people, um, not just the political journalists, but people like Dermot O'Leary. Um, I listened to, I really, I mean, it, it, it's a world that I love, you know, it's kind of like sitting on the loo territory for me. I watch um, interviews with, you know, foreign secretaries and things like that. Just, it, that's kind of like, it is entertainment. And I think that's what he what he realizes and the bubble that is burst, you know, he, he, he thinks he's so important and um, that it's a big, um, you know, intellectual world that he's in talking to these really important people, but it's actually bullshit. And it's no different from the, the stuff that she's reading about and watching in her reality TV <clears throat> programs. So it, it, I love that about the show. It addresses that, um, his realization that that he actually is just a reality TV guy. Um, it's no different from Stacey Solomon or whoever. Yeah, yeah. Do you watch reality TV? Did you do you kind of or do you are you, are you not the kind of snob, slightly snobbish attitude that he has? I mean, I do. I I think that's why I was able to. I was, when he is being sent up for that stuff by her, it it's me being able to laugh at myself because I'm the sort of person who, if one of my kids was watching something like that, I'd come in and turn it off and give them a lecture about how it's rotting their brain or whatever. But and then my wife will come like in and turn it back on, be like, shut up. It's you know, it's fun. This is um I mean we watch like bake off and stuff like that. Mm. Um so that's that's about what I can stomach maybe um uh the dancing one. See I watched loads of it. Yeah yeah um, yeah Strictly. Um, strictly, yeah. that's it. Um, yeah. I like, I like the great, um, the 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 great pottery throwdown. That mm. um, that's really that's fun. great. All yeah. the making ones. We watched Celebrity MasterChef the other day. That was quite fun. Go oh yeah, I love Celebrity MasterChef. Yeah, it's yeah. I think it is. It was fun to just be. I don't. To be honest, I don't watch a lot of TV, and our TV is mostly hidden in our house because otherwise our kids would just they'd, they'd be in front of it all the time. To be commenting and examining the the world that we're in and the world that probably me and my wife are quite afraid of in terms of uh, it taking over our kids lives um was was fun and to mock these people that take themselves so seriously you know and as my, I, I think robert peston and andrew Moore and those guys are really good at their jobs but they t- do take themselves so seriously and it is it's like their universe is um you know gossip at westminster or whatever and to to take the piss out of that bit my, the interesting thing about Alice Eve as well is, is who is fantastic as your girlfriend. She's amazing. It's yeah. also yeah. It's also it's interesting, isn't it? Because for, when you first meet all, all of these characters in a way, you see all these differences, and you think maybe she's a bit of a snob. There's a brilliant line where you say she's no snob. She's good friends with Ken Loach, which I love. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but then it does deepen as it goes on, isn't it? And you kind of see 
that there's more to her and there's more to, to, to the to the characters than that. It's an, it's interesting that actually, you know, you can dismiss them as members of Metropolitan immediately, but actually you see there's more to them. Yeah, totally. Um, I think I think that was that that stands to David Ireland's sensitivity in his writing that these people aren't two dimensional. They we all have a mask that we wear in our public lives and our um, you know work lives and. Uh, and we have a mask that is sometimes even impenetrable to us about our identities and we're married to our um, professional identities and things like that. And um, actually, you're, you're sympathetic to Alice's character, Frankie, by the end when Seamus leaves. And I think that is testament to to David's writing. And that was really important for all of us. And Alice fought very hard for Frankie not to be just thrown under the rug um, at the end there. Um, so I think I think that's great, and 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 for you not to be let off the hook in terms of enjoying um, Janet and Seamus getting together, you should feel guilty as as they do, um, which is which provides the drama at the end, which is why Seamus can't tell her, you know, um, can't can't break it to Frankie, and met that so f- I love that. Well, I actually haven't really seen it all um in the show but filming those scenes where he's telling her and um we did that quite early on and and i i was just whacking myself um the way alice was playing the scenes she's sort of throwing up with the shock because nobody's mm. left her and and then right. she screamed something at, at me about um she could have had tom somebody and he's like which which tom all the toms um <laughs> and i know you know and, and also knowing some of the people that she mentions as well was funny um, it, feel, it feels like a very real world. There are a lot of nice kind of in-jokes as well, like filming in Ireland, filming in Ulster. There's, uh, I love the conversation about Game of Thrones where um, where Seamus <laughs> dismisses Game of Thrones. Yeah. And, of course, Conliff Hill is in the show, who's brilliant, yeah. who's in Game of Thrones. All of those things, all of those things there um, added to the kind of fun of the whole uh, experience. Totally, yeah. I, loved, I particularly loved doing that scene because my brother's in Game of Thrones, so I love... Right, I loved slating it um, <laughs> from a kind of haughty intellectual perspective, um, because yeah, and, and the world that he's in, you know, you can, you can, and that's what Janet serves to, uh, to you know, that's what she allows Seamus to realize in the sh- in in the story is just that his world is is as bullshit as as the reality TV or the Game of Thrones stuff that she's watching. It's just that she's prepared to admit that it's um, fluffy and, and escapism, you know, um, and he thinks he's living in the real world. Um, so, I, th- yeah, uh, I love that. And then the deeper realisation about the lies that they've been telling about who they really are um, adds, obviously adds adds a dimension to it that that is surprising and, and mm. I think really beautiful. I think what, one of the things that makes this version of a rom-com quite unusual is that, you, yours, and Rasheen's characters enter into this affair with your eyes open. You kind of actually discuss it, you know, the morality or whatever of it, and you just think, "Yeah, you just agree to to go to get into it," which is mm. quite I thought was really interesting and unusual. And what do you think it says about the morality, if I can use that kind of heavy word, about an affair? Um, well, yeah, actually, I was just speaking about this, but I think it's really interesting. It just seems to be a topic that that comes up um uh, more now this idea it's a it's a subject that people are, are, are 
putting out about you know polygamy and open relationships and things like that and i think it's quite uh it's it's an interesting um i think just culturally in terms of how maybe locked up our parents generations uh ideas around marriage was and and you know the, the sort of very um uh specific vows that we make in a kind of churchy wedding and um and and how actually some of that stuff is is i think it's quite unhelpful you know it, it's like you have to promise forever that you'll never look at another person again and um and the reality is that that you that you do feel things for other people and and i think so i found that interesting in a in a story and um the fact that they get to negotiate it in that way and 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 the female character gets to negotiate on her behalf and um it's like it's like a sort of reverse marriage where they 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 agree to the terms um without them being uh imposed on on themselves by by an institution or an idea or or a sort of historical sense of what marriage should be and i can't help thinking it's slightly wrong in in the historical version of of marriage so and i and the fact that it's being talked about and that it's been married to the same uh person for um i don't know since 2011 my maths is terrible 12 years but um and we've been together for for even longer um uh for much longer like since we were 16 but you know living with each other through all that time and and in our teen in our student years we went like that we 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 i know that won't come across in a audio interview but i'm doing a <laughs> yeah, kind of you're just funny kind yeah. of yeah um moving away and apart and together and you know um we were we we were with other people in between and so i think this idea of like negotiating uh yeah with your partners and um i think the thing about monogamous relationships is like there can be this um terrible pressure to not yeah to as i say to 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 put blinkers on and to not be honest about natural feelings and connections that you have um for or with other people and uh it was refreshing to read something and to do something that that examined that really and um i think they you know they're quite it's it it's 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 a difficult subject because people get hurt, but I think it, the, you know, the fact that they are so they're open about it and they talk about it and the fact that they have to do all of that in that early scene in the show when the, you know, Janet and Frankie are in the same space as well. It's really, really fun. Yeah. I thought that worked, worked so well. Yeah. The one other project I wanted to ask you about upcoming thing, if you can, it just a, a incredibly excited about it, is Ripley, which you're in with Andrew Scott. Yeah, so I know you filmed quite a while ago. Does it? I mean, how how was that? How exciting was that to kind of work on that? I remember I saw Andrew Scott. He was just about to go on location to shoot. Right. He, he said that the scripts and the everything was fantastic. He was incredibly excited yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a joy. Um, Andrew was amazing, and it was a very long shoot. Uh, and we were we were hit with COVID stuff. We were delayed before starting for for like years uh i think we were first supposed to go in beginning of 2020 or uh, even earlier than that end of 2019 or something we ended up um starting shooting summer of 21 and then it 
I was supposed to be done by the end of that year and I ended up finishing sort of spring, early summer 22. So it it was beset with um, COVID stuff. But despite all of that, I, I, it was really ambitious, massive shoot, you know, all around Italy and huge, huge cast and crew. And first thing, I'd done a few films through the lockdown with very small, I uh, did a film called The Outfit, which was really fun because it was almost like a like an old school studio film with like six people in, in one space. So COVID stuff didn't matter too much uh uh but this was this was massive crowd scenes and ripley and massive mm. xyz so uh really ambitious but i yeah it was a joy and a- andrew was amazing and dakota was great and um uh steve salian who wrote and directed it's a huge hero of mine so it was a joy to be uh with them on that it's a very different version of the story to the film it's much right. more kind of noir wintry telling of the story which i think is truer to the book and the film is great and des- deserves its place but i think this is in a different space so yeah, yeah. i'm excited to oh, see it very excited to see it as well thank you so much johnny that's brilliant yeah thank pleasure thank you that was johnny flynn and now we move on to the reviews and first up this week we have love and death on itvx a show that stars elizabeth olsen jesse plemons kristen ritter patrick fuger and many many other good people in a true crime miniseries about an affair gone awry Kay, would you give this one the axe which is an excellent joke if you know the story of the series <laughs> i would not give the axe which is good right yeah <laughs> i mean it's reversed, basically like, you're trying to find the white way to deal with james's I punning know, that was very hard question. double negative it's yeah. like you know it's but i think you're right yeah thanks um yes well Skip James's uh, lame gag there, and I enjoyed it. Um, this is based on Jim Atkinson and Joe Bob Briggs's 1984 book, Evidence of Love, A True Story of Passion and Death in the Suburbs. Um, so, you know, if you did Google it, you would know what happens. I think we can speak quite freely, freely. about this, yeah. Well, to, to an extent, yeah. Like, I think it would ruin the series if you read the whole thing, which I obviously no. did on Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, but I think we can talk about the main setup yeah. beyond the first episode, because I think you have to. Got it. James has okay. set the rules. Oh, yeah. Those are the rules. <laughs> and those are they. Those are they. Because, I mean... Yeah, no, I'm railroading your review. I'm railroading your review. What I say is, I'm not bored. I don't give spoilers. Yeah. Right? Did you know what this was going into it? Do you know anything about it? Yes, only because we had done this big autumn TV preview. Oh. And so I'd already... So I didn't. And I was like, so this first episode is, what, it's about an hour long. Mm-hmm. I got 45 minutes into this and I was just like, oh my God. Good God, can something happen? Mm-hmm. I was just like, sweet Jesus, there is. Something to say about I was that. like, either have an affair or don't have an affair, but yes. stop titting about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, no, let's get to that. Okay, well, this is about a bored Texan um, religious housewife called Candy, played by Elizabeth Olsen, who is fed up with the mundanity of life and just decides to embark on an affair with a fellow churchgoer with fatal consequences. Okay, so based on true life. Um, so when it opens, it begins on Friday the 13th. Yeah, yeah, blood splattered bathroom. You know things are no bueno, okay? And then it flashes forward to two years earlier, a Methodist church where um, Candy is a parishioner along with her husband Patrick, who's a bit of a mega dork. And gradually we get to le- learn more about the, the different churchgoers, um, including Alan, who is married to Betty. They're desperately trying to have a baby. She's very fixated on that. And so they have quite perfunctory sex. And it's just, you know, like we're just seeing the different machinations of their relationship. And very soon we realise that Candy has set her sights on Alan as someone that she could have an affair with. And I love this term. She said to her friend, he's fall in love proof, right? (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is a brilliant, brilliant expression to use going forward. 
going forward. Um, no, but he is he she. It's very funny in that the way that she she. As James alluded to, they go about this in a very officious, you know, very practical way. So they, she broaches the subject in a very blunt way with him of like, you know, I have feelings for you. Would you like to act on it? And they go through this whole process of discussing the machinations of it down to the granular detail. They have planning right? sessions. They have planning sessions, okay. And I, like you, I'd say halfway three quarters way through was like, oh my God, come on. Literally. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was like just do it already and they li- they were going through pros and negative lists of like why they should do this yeah. and why they shouldn't. And I was like did this really happen these planning sessions? And then it dawned on me because it you know it seemed there was an element of it being quite tedious yeah. and slow. And then I realized actually this is the perfect reflection of how she feels about her life. Yes. Right? It's just the mundanity, the humdrumness of like this boring kind of existence that she is desperate she's desperate to feel alive right yes that's, and so, I, as was i watching this but then didn't you feel maybe it was just me but i just felt like by the end and it builds up into this great big event and it's actually it felt like a genuine cathartic release both for them and for the, for the viewer because it was like it just felt more explosive because of the you know having to go through all these different layers of nonsense about shall we have a you know do we plan a picnic do we do this I'll take care of lunch yes exactly it was yeah Um, but I thought I thought Olsen was great and I think she's so um, really good unapologetic in her belief that there should be more to life um, which I obviously agree with. Again, she, I agree too. There should be more to life. <laughs> and, she deserves to, and she deserves to feel alive. I do think perhaps they could have, you know, sped it up a little bit because I did think it suffered a little bit from that. And I think there will be people who won't watch the next episode because they'll be like, oh, God, Yeah, because, I, I mean, there's foreplay and there's foreplay, but this had a lot of foreplay. Oh, mate, you would just be checked out. I would 100%. just be like, absolutely not. Let's not do this. Life's too short. Yeah. But um, I overall, I did enjoy it. I managed to like, once I realised actually this was intentional, yeah, it's, it's, yeah also it's the, deliberate. Yeah, yeah, it is deliberate. It's a stylistic choice, but really good people, really good performances, yeah. right? And mm. I think she in particular, Olsen, is fantastic in this and very watchable. But God knows she needs to be because that first episode yeah. is oh, a slog. If it wasn't for her, you I, would def- I think you would switch off. I don't think it's that much of a slog. I think... I think uh, what, did you like all the planning? Yeah. <laughs> Boyd really approved it. Oh, I, was, oh, I love a spreadsheet, says Boyd. <laughs> yeah. so, I thought it was really... I think it's obviously it's, it's, it's to, to some extent true to life and this is how it happened. Although, all right, first of all, I am an aficionado of on-screen, um, you know, what do they call them? Um, television? <laughs> <laughs> Good one. I salute James yeah. for that. <laughs> On-screen captions mm-hmm. of true crime stories because they all—they're quite. What's this is interesting, right? So I don't know if you remember, but the very first thing that flashes on screen is at the beginning of Love and Death. Not to be confused, by the way, with the classic Woody Allen comedy of nineteen seventy-five. I know we're not supposed to mention Woody Allen, but I have. Um, <laughs> it is the first thing that comes up on the screen is this is a true story. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. No other. No other yeah, kind I like of that. yeah justification or explanation. This is a true story, and that's quite a heavily weighted thing to say. The beginning of your true crime it says show. the same thing at the beginning of Wheel of Time. <laughs> well, I mean, it's probably yeah, maybe it does. You probably would. It's part of your true story, probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then at the end, this was even weirder. I mean, I thought that was like okay, that's bold, right? Mm-hmm. No, you know, no like based on true events or you know we, we've changed anything. None, none of that. Just the, that bold statement. Basically, then at the end. Some of the credits go up, right? Including, I was looking, I was watching it, thinking, hold on, the credits have gone up. It's just like production manager, so and so, quite kind of, you know, 
behind the scenes talent acknowledged. And then suddenly there's another bit about the it basically being based on a true story. Oh, really? And I, I literally rewound it to check that I hadn't imagined it. No, I hadn't. A couple of credits go by, and then suddenly it says this Love and Death is a dramatization of actual events. Dialogue, scenes, and some events have been modified or created for dramatic purposes. In other words, the oh. opening thing we said is bullshit because the whole thing is, as every all of these oh, true crime things are, it would have to be, isn't it? Because it takes place behind closed doors. Yeah, so, yes, yes, exactly. But that's fine. But then don't go. So, yeah, don't, don't go big yeah. at the front. Exactly. The beginning, I think like, it's fine. No. I think it's like a bold no, statement. No. I think it's fine. It's suspicious. It's misleading. It's I'm misleading. saying it's both misleading and mm-hmm. suspicious. <laughs> they put the I more agree, complex, detailed yeah. explanation. They buried it at the end. It, no after the start of the credit roll. Yeah, but no, no one watched this thought that, well, this is word for word exactly what happened. You know no, what I mean? No, no, I know, but I think it's important. And this and this goes back to the sixth commandment, right? Which is mm-hmm. which was Sarah Phelps's brilliant. Thou shalt not present narrative out of context. Exactly. Right. And so, but Sarah Phelps stuck scrupulously, um, if you listen to the interview that I did for this podcast, yes. scrupulously to the facts in every single yes, way, did. as much as she possibly could. And and when she didn't, she talked to people and said, you know, would oh, it is a lot of research. So much. Material. Whereas I feel with this, David E. Kelly, who's a brilliant writer, don't get me wrong, and he's written this whole series, yes. by the way, all seven episodes. That's it's no accident that yes. the detailed explanation of the fact that it's drama and <laughs> not is doing. at the end. And he has this bold thing. I, I, honestly, it's no accident whatsoever. That's a deliberate move on his part. And I think it's fascinating. I think it's interesting because more much more so for example than the sixth sixth commandment this really is a drama using these juicy characters and these juicy details and this and what actually happened without spoiling it um as the basis for a drama that's as if you like for me fictional as other david e kelly shows that he's done you know big little lies etc and he's t- you talking about what women deal with on a daily basis particularly you know in in this period you know this is the late 70s early 80s it goes back to with and by the way there are a lot of like songs and cultural moments to remind you we're in the late 70s they go and see Greece which I thought was a really good scene actually the musical Um, and my, my point is that he's just made a drama He's made a drama out of this true story. And that, and it's more, this is a drama for me that the opening thing should be than this is a true story. Because it's a really effective drama. And I think that first episode, to go back to your question, I thought was actually in its weird way gripping because inherently you know something horrible is going to happen. And if you don't, and I didn't remind myself of the true story. I knew vaguely about the true story it was based on, but I deliberately didn't go Wikipedia and check because I wanted to keep as much of it there. And, and, and the deliberate pace that you're talking about and the, and the kind of build up to this affair where they are literally planning it together and he's resistant he's funny Jesse Plemons is so good at this kind of internalised character he's brilliantly think deadpan think of him in The Power of the him. Dog yeah. he's so deadpan and he's, she's literally like throwing herself at him <laughs> you know jumping into his jeep etc I want to have an affair with you I want yeah. to have sex with you and he's like do you? okay all right. Well, I'll get back to you. I think literally at one point, I think he does actually say, "I'll get back to you." Yeah. That. No, he does. Actually, yeah. yeah. And 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 I thought that was really funny and interesting. But but it is funny. It is like it's not tonally. You know, we did another true crime story fairly recently that was wildly over the top tonally. I can't remember what it was. Where like they were playing the whole thing for laughs, really, and it was like a jaunty, you know, kind of like this is a true story of murder and and corruption, etc. But we're going to kind of approach it like a comedy. This isn't that, but it is wryly amusing how long it takes him to agree to this effing affair and I think that is key and if it didn't play out quite slowly and deliberately I don't think that would hit home quite as powerfully as it does as you as you said when it, when it does all finally blow up and what happens happens it's more effective because mm-hmm. you've seen the build up the slow 
steady build-up. And so I think I thought it was Ponderous, really good. glacial yeah. build-up. No, I work for me. It worked for me. I don't, I, but I'm much less impatient than you, I think, in general. Um, so I thought this was absolutely brilliantly done from the start, like beautifully shot. I think David E. Kelly is a really, really does write these characters very well. That you know, and his slightly clunky use of the period and pop songs and all of that, BGs on the soundtrack actually kind of work because it just keeps reminding you what a different time and era it was. And I'm not saying these things don't still happen because they do, but there's definitely a theme about women housewives in quotes mm. living these boring lives, these boring suburban lives, and that's not a new thing to go on. But he really hits home with that. Like she goes to a kind of poetry slash writing course. You know, she's got her creativity within her, and, and that frustration really is very convincingly done. And as you both said, she's phenomenally good. Mm. Um, but everyone's great in it. Jesse Plemons is fantastic in it because you really believe this kind of massive doofus, this kind of lumbering guy, be like can't quite process the mm. fact that she. He's got the hots for him. It's so, and it is funny, but and yet kind of. And I thought right at the end, no spoilers. There's a massive uh, tribute to Psycho, which I was not expecting. There's a sudden visual moment that's literally taken from Psycho, and I thought, oh, this is interesting and bold and different. To use my favorite word, so I, I think it's great. I have to say, mm. but bear, although uh, bearing in mind the, I do think the the choice of forewarnings and on-screen captions is fascinating. Well, if you. <laughs> Do you want to watch people think about possibly maybe one day having an affair over the course of an entire hour? Then love and death lands on ITVX Wembley. I mean, I'd rather it arrives on uh, Thursday. ITVX everything arrives on Thursday on ITVX all in one go. And I'd rather watch this than have people ice doors and all that. Oh ice God, to die, too. boy. Oh, ice to die. Just real people. Yeah. You can't, you know, oh. drama yeah. involving real Dark people. Dark friends, the pair of you. <laughs> Next up this week, we have the Changeling on Apple. Uh, <laughs> This one stars Lakeith Stanfield and Clark Bacco as a couple who meet in New York City. He asks her out, they go out, they get together, and eventually have a baby, which is basically the first episode of the show. And then things go absolutely batshit. Now, I genuinely suspect Kay is furious about this one because I feel like this is a show that sucked her in, making it think it was like a just a straight down-to-earth drama and then turned into this weird-ass, madcap, dark fantasy thing. Uh, so let's turn to Boydie for the lowdown on this utterly bonkers fairy tale. Yes. So this was interesting because it's uh, all, all, in all of the build-up, all the kind of press releases from Apple TV Plus about this have described it as a fairy tale for grown-ups, and they haven't really dipped into the story much, or they've kind of deliberately avoided plot description, like bald plot description. I keep using the word bald a lot today. It's like me and James' celebration. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I, my advice to 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 listeners about this show is to do is very similar to what your Shining Girls which is, and the other Apple TV Plus show, in fact, <laughs> recently. Crowded Room. Yeah, which is, oh, don't, don't, Google read, yeah. don't Google it. Don't yeah. read about the original novel that it's based on, that it is based on an original yeah. novel by Victor Laval that came out in 2017. So I'm going to say, yeah. I'm going to say for the sake of guidelines, because I know you always say you're never sure what to talk about plot-wise, I'm going to say, let's allude to the tone yes. after the first episode, yes. but only allude to the plot oh, in the first episode. Fair enough, that's a good, that's a good teacherly um, admonition in advance. Is this staying included? Yes, this is yeah, staying yeah. in, but... But, but yeah. I will say, even having said that, you have no idea what this show is no. from the first episode no. No. on any level. No, exactly. So um, the first three, by the way, arrive in one go, which is... And they need to. So you watch those three. <laughs> yeah, you will. But you want to watch those three because, I mean, even more so than Love and Death, actually... It's just, it really the opening episode in some ways is about a meet cute, you yeah. know, this kind of it's like a rom com. Yeah, Lakeith, Lakeith Stanfield meeting um, 
Clark Bacow's character, who's a wonderful librarian, who has to deal with. You know, she's brilliant and soulful because she has to deal with the homeless person. That's right. Yeah, crazy <laughs> in the first episode, and she just fantastically deals with that in, mm. in a very humane. When he's immediately attracted to her for that, really more than Apollo. anything, as much as anything, Apollo, the interestingly named Apollo, um, who's named after Apollo Creed in Rocky, basically. Then there are all I'd say. So there are flashbacks to his background and to her background and to like parents and stuff that I won't say any much more than that. Then. And as James alludes to, it takes a whole different turn that we were, I won't allude to either, but the official Disney description is a fairy tale for grown-ups. And that is accurate in the sense that this is not a family-friendly show in any way, in case you thought it might be. But it's also scarier than you might expect mm-hmm. from the first episode. Oh my gosh, there's one character in there. Yeah. That I was like, yeah. now that I've seen that, I can't yeah. unsee it. Right. Um, so it's, we should say it's written by showrunner is Kelly Marcel who's a really interesting writer she wrote Saving Mr. Banks I think she's a brilliant writer uh, in fact Saving Mr. Banks and she wrote the first I think she wrote Fifty Shades of Grey the first film adaptation mm. I'm pretty sure but not not the subsequent ones and she's kind of and I haven't read the original book um, but I think she seems to have done an amazing job of turning into a densely layered m- narrative that goes jumps around in time a lot as of course as all as all shows do these days but her jumping around in time isn't annoying or infuriating it's fascinating and the more you learn about the background of Lakeith Stanfield's character Apollo and his and his uh, ancestors or and parents and all of that the more fascinating it mm-hmm. is so yeah I well thought done, it was Boyd, if thank you. Around that. Like all, like m- almost all Apple TV shows, it looks amazing, and the the the, mm. it's, the 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 use of New York location. I mean, it's probably filmed in I don't know Montreal, or Liverpool, or something. <laughs> but it seems to use those um, locations in New York. And like what was the, also like the other show that I just mentioned, not Shining Girls, the Crowded other one. Room. Crowded Room. I find it real difficult to remember the name of the Crowded Room. It's such a boring title <laughs> for that show. That mad show. That's another mad show. It is. But remember, the Crowded Room was also set quite a lot of it in like late seventies New York, yeah. and the. Sh- show that it was like some oh, trash. Say, there's yes. trash everywhere and there's even more yep. trash yes, yes. to yep. be fair there was a strike a rubbish collective yeah, workers strike which they allude to but the streets are absolutely filled with rubbish in those flashback scenes in this um I think it's like Lakeith Stanford, I think he's exec producer as well. It's like, oh my God, he's given himself the juiciest role he could possibly get. And Clark Bacco is brilliant as well, as in everyone else in it. I'm I am fully in with this one, like I was with Shining Girls and the other one. <laughs> crowded room. Crowded room. Crowded room. Yeah. Bloody crowded room. I'll get you tattooed onto you. Yeah. It's okay. How much of this have you seen? First out. Just the first out. So, as far as you know, oh, this is an interesting romantic comedy. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> no, because it goes batshit crazy. Yeah. There's batshit like, craziness in the first episode. Is there? Yeah. Yes. Not really. A little yes. bit. There is. Yeah, I mean, not. Probably not as much. Well, let's as just say he has nightmares. Yeah, he has nightmares. Right. But they're just but, nightmares. Well, he has some nightmares. And they're, okay, so that tonally, they're a bit weird. Like the tone, there has a, it has a slightly altered tone. Mm-hmm. But. Not to the extent of, and there's there's a hint that like, oh, she has a lucky bracelet and it gets cut off. Like she's going to get bad luck. I like the fact you're James explaining the first episode that Kay's only know, watched. It. Just yeah. told you she's only watched the first episode and she still thinks it's batshit crazy. Yeah. And you have, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I mean that's fair. Yeah. But I I went through this one and I, I was trying to fathom what this was from the first episode. And I was like, oh yeah. Oh, no, and it, I knew but this it's well. I had no idea just how wackadoodle I this warned, thing was going see, to become. He said it. I told you this. Well no, I this, this I got it from you. No, wackadoodle this, is a you no, thing that I've taken from you. That. Oh my God, this is so frustrating. Please, if anyone if anyone actually listens to this, like, you know, not multitasking or whatever, which is fair enough, and you ever heard James say that expression. Wackadoodle. Yeah, wackadoodle do you said to me. I've never said wackadoodle do <laughs> anyway, to anyone in my life. You really do. Uh, 
frustrating. No, but anyway, <laughs> no. this is this is. I mean, this is off the proper deep end insane. Yeah. This is, I mean, but not until later episodes. Okay, well, I well just to once again reiterate, <laughs> I found that from the start it was whack. Okay, and um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I you're mean, forgetting detail of the first episode because I've also watched three, and there is mad stuff in the first. episode. But, but sure. it's not. I don't think it's that overt. No, but it gets okay. Well, my anyway. personal impression is that it was, <laughs> yeah. I can't emphasize this yeah. enough. This is what I'm saying. It's whackadoodle. Yeah, whackadoodle do the um, beginnings of doodleness are whacked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what's your contention that he, he, that you Wackadoodle isn't one of your core expressions? No. It's she not, thinks it's mine. No, she thinks it's my expression. It's not one of the two. He, it's not like um, cuckoo bong or yeah, banana crackers. Banana my, crackers yeah. and cuckoo bong, as per the t-shirt. Yes, that, oh, that, that we would like oh to say. So wackadoodle yeah. is is not your. I think that's true. Yeah, wackadoodle is in no, general parlance. Yeah, J- um, yeah, James said one time, and I, I swear, I you. I if I said wackadoodle, I definitely didn't say wackadoodle do. No, I think you said... Oh, well, that's a subtle... I think... I mean, No, wackadoodle-do. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, that's so funny from James. <laughs> that's that's not, that's not anyway, my thing. Right. I can't, okay. I can't claim that. In the whole okay, but please, someone get in touch. <laughs> All right. Someone get in touch with the sound file proving yeah, yeah, that I'm yeah, lying. Yeah. Oh, Darren's uh, going to be the key to this. Yeah, it'll be Darren. Okay, He'll Darren. He'll be sifting through the previous episodes. Yeah. Um, Poor Darren. <laughs> I just thought... Yeah, so I thought it was nuts. And I thought it was like all the... I completely agree with you, you know, about saying it's really lavish, and I and I like I do like this. I'm not going to watch anymore. You, I, I do think you'd hate it because I'm going to absolutely shit myself. Not <laughs> even shit yourself. I think you'll just hate it. Oh really? Oh, I well, don't think, I... no, but you know how Kate, Kate cannot deal with anything that doesn't take place in the reality that she understands. <laughs> so wow. fa- it's true. Wow. It's true. Oh Fantasy, science fiction, any of that do. stuff I just rubs you up the wrong way. When I say go fuck yourself, right? <laughs> this is true. <laughs> boys, actually, how is boys taking his shirt off? Yeah. I'm getting serious. He's getting getting here. No, but, but it's true. Like you like your stuff grounded in reality. Oh you need God, to be able so to access it. How how is that not true? Yeah. Whatever. Okay. Okay. No. 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 If I'm whatever. lying, come on. Uh, Give me an example I mean, of the fancy the show that you love. Staying review, out of it. Yeah, you're right to do so, boy, because he is on his own in this quagmire of oh, tree. Yeah. Um, I really like the mirroring of the stories, which we can't go into. Mm. I really like that. And the fact that this, I, I mean, I wasn't entirely sure what was real going through this. I was like, is this, you know, is this just a, well, I can't say. But I thought it was very inventive and smart. Um, but I found it incredibly stressful. <laughs> it is stressful and, and it gets more stressful. Yeah. So I won't go, I won't be going beyond the first episode. But I do, I do think it is like, you know, it's a very. Go beyond. Yeah. Lavish show. And it's this well written and well acted. You know, all those things. I yeah. think people are going to love it. It's just not. I think it, the show on Apple, this has the most DNA in common with is Servant. Is what? Servant. Oh. Not that they're massively similar. I'm saying if you were to pick another Apple show, which is okay. closest to this, I would say it's Servant. I think it's Shining Girls or um, you think? The, the Room One. <laughs> the Room One. <laughs> uh, crowded Room. Crowded, crowded House. You know the one. Crowded, crowded House Room. <laughs> Um, a servant, maybe. Yeah. I just, no, I, 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 you're wrong. No. Okay, I'm wrong. I just, yeah. fine. <laughs> okay. Well, if you'd like to watch the show on Apple, which apparently is nothing like Servant, then it arrives on Friday. 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 The eighth of September. Friday, the eighth oh, of September. Like right. Finally, this week we have the lovers. <laughs> Boyd is, of course, entirely compromised, having basked in the glow of Johnny Flynn. But Kay remains entirely <laughs> objective. So, Kay, were you a lover of this? Yes, absolutely obsessed with it. Straight out the traps. I'm just saying it. I love <laughs> this show. David Island's uh, funny, very sexy six-part rom uh, rom-com. Um, I said this in my preview. I just found it very intoxicating. Like the kind of show that 
you just I couldn't stop thinking about in a similar way that I got into Starstruck like this last season particularly where you just watch it and you just afterwards I just wanted to talk about it with everyone forgetting that I'm one of those privileged twats that gets to see it in advance and then I can't don't have anyone to talk to about it but I just I really really enjoyed this so um, it's about Seamus as we've heard Johnny Flynn uh, he plays an English political broadcaster who's over in Northern Ireland filming his cur- uh, current affairs show and he meets by chance this divorced, spiky Northern Irish supermarket worker called Janet, played by Roshin uh, Gallagher, who um, he she's very like, you know, she's very bruised by what she's gone through, her self-worth and her mental health is rock bottom. And the way they meet is one of the most extraordinary meet-cutes you'll ever see on TV, <laughs> right? A one-in-a-million encounter that I'm not going to spoil, but yeah. once you see it, you'll be like, fuck. Um, and from there, they just share this connection in this because of this unusual way they've met. But also there is an undoubtable potent chemistry between them. And it's about how they go about navigating that because he is in a relationship with a famous, um, he has got a famous girlfriend played by Alice Eve. And he obviously like loves her, but then he can't deny this chemistry they have together. And it's like clear that they're both troubled deep down and they have something, they found something within each other that just, you know quenches something in them they just need each other and what I love about this in the same way that I loved it about Starstruck which also deals with infidelity is that the other the the girlfriend in question it's never about them being not enough or have done something wrong it's just the fact that this happens right it's that it he just liked um David Island in the same way that Rose Matafeo just so brilliantly captures the messiness of everyday life of love and how yeah sometimes not ideal things happen but sometimes you just can't help it or they can't help it um and so yeah I just I just absolutely and this couple is completely chalk and cheese so like she works in a supermarket doesn't give a shit about politics loves reality tv um she's divorced she's got you know a lot of baggage with that he is a privileged media twat. I mean, he he reminds me of a lot of people that I've worked with, possibly I'm looking at now. I, do you know what? I was waiting for that. When I watched this, I thought, oh, I'm going to get a drubbing on the podcast after this. No, I'm Especially joking. when he sounds off about reality TV. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the only place that you are similar. But um, yeah, and and so they're, they're like polar opposites, but there's just, it, it shouldn't work on paper, but it just does. And it's um, like, it's unbearably good for me. I was just like, I watched three episodes back to back and I just need to watch more because I want to see how this pans out. What's interesting is it shares quite a lot in common with Love and Death because, you know, we were saying about the, the these are, in Love and Death, it's two people deciding they're going to have an affair. So is this. Mm. This is two people admittedly uh, much funnier and with less yeah. violence. And it's half an hour long. <laughs> and it's half an hour long. Actually, I think it's more than half an hour long per episode. I think it's a half hour show. Uh, I'm not or sure. thereabouts. Sure. Okay. Well, I galloped through it. I think it's 45 yeah. at least. Anyway. Oh, um, that's well, because the time went so quickly, James. <laughs> you enjoyed it so much. <laughs> that's it, yeah. But what I did find it really interesting that I think that is a different spin on the traditional rom-com where you get two people falling in love you know, from very, you know, very contrasting personalities and that. So there's a class, clear class mm. difference. She's a working class woman in in, in Ulster, goes to the supermarket. He's a he's a basic member of the metropolitan media elite like us. <laughs> and um and 
as you say, they have that brilliant meet cute, and they. But but what's different is in in a normal rom com, I think they'd slowly fall in love, and that would be and and that would play it out as it plays out. But in this, they do sit and discuss the fact they're going to have an affair. And mm. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Like quite. And again, I did remind me of Love and Death. It's not as extended. But it's almost as extended actually. Fewer still, spreadsheets. I fewer say, spreadsheets, but, but they still take quite a while to talk about, talk it through, and to talk the ramifications and implications, mm. and even a bit of rule. But I think chat there was as well what the mm. rules might be, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. This in is one funnier. scene. Well, this is an out-and-out comedy. Yeah. yeah, it's a romantic comedy. It's definitely funnier than the true crime thing, <laughs> drama, yeah. But I'm saying it's that's what they have in common, that people deciding they're going to have an affair. Yeah. Going into it with their eyes open and no, not like we're act, oh, we've just somehow tumbled into bed with each mm. other and we now know we don't know what to do. It's very much, you know, calculated, this is what we're going to do, we know the risks, blah, blah, blah. And so, and I think that's really clever and it makes it much more believable, I think, as far as I'm concerned, because you, you do believe that they've got such a good chemistry right from the start that they have to talk it through because they because he is in a relationship with his with his celebrity girlfriend as you say and there are there are ramifications and implications to that so i just think it's all about i think the writing is great he's a theater writer i think he does the dialogue is brilliant she, she's she, fantastic don't you think the she drive is, but remember her, she was brilliant in the drive she that, was great in that and she that, just delivers this good. like snark covered yeah. fragility i call yeah, it she's like, fan- she just, exactly She's brilliant. He described... Her conversation with Conleth Hill, who's her manager at Supermarket. Brilliant. And kudos to Conleth Hill. That's quite a small role. Quite a small team role. He's in the... But he does it very well. He does it brilliantly. He's so good at that kind of role. He's fantastic. You'll enjoy him in uh, Game of Thrones, Kay. Yes. Well, he was also in The Power of Parker, which did (laughs) we review? We did, yes. yes. We did. He's brilliant. Wasn't as good as Game of Thrones. Well, no, I mean, even I'd admit that, yeah. But it's still pretty good. Um, but what I thought was interesting, and and um, uh, the great Johnny Flynn, who is a very attractive figure, like he's brilliantly kind of, you know, he's got like kind of goof, almost Hugh Granty kind of charm to him, I think. But he is playing a bit of a bellend. Yes. But I think, again... That's still very appealing. Very, his bellendery <laughs> is not exaggerated or, co- or cartoonish. Yeah, yeah. It's quite believable. And over, and you can overcome it. I have it. met these men. This right, of course. A believable yeah. bellend. Or, or like a bellend that you think could probably bring him back into non-bellendery. Yes, yes, exactly. Oh, a bellend him. with a redemption arc. Yes. <laughs> 100%. And he himself, I thought she was brilliant. I got very excited because he described his characters across between Peston mm. and Andy Marr, Andrew Marr, and Dermot O'Leary. How excited about that? There's Dermot in there. She talks about it on the interview, as you'll hear, listeners. Um, So I was very excited about that, and I'm going to tell Dermot to watch the show, Mm. because to watch the show partly based in which he says outright the character is partly based on him. Um, It's fascinating. And I told him that, because Dermot is interested in politics and would love to do, like, one day do... He's hosted politics... Like, don't you know, Teenagers Question Time or Students Question Time or something Dermot did a couple of years ago? But he definitely would love to do a kind of political show, so this show should encourage him, um, because it's very very believable. So yeah, it's brilliantly done. It's really good. Loved it. There we go. Thanks. The Lovers. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was great as well. Mm. Really enjoyed it. I thought she was great. I thought he was great. I thought they were funny. They were charming. I like, swept I do love a rom-com as well. I'm obsessed. Uh, yeah, the reason James is speaking very quickly is because you're late for the other podcast. We are late. I'm Sorry. late for the Empire I podcast. Like, I yes. be winding, looking yeah, at that look on his face. Yeah. Like, can you stop? We've already run over by five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it's fine. Chris it's Hewitt fine. will smack you across the face. He might do. So when when and where does this air, Boydie? This airs a Thursday, the 7th of September, Sky Atlantic slash now, and it will all be available as a box set from that very evening, I believe, as well. Okay, fabulous. Also out this week, Star, oh. Star Trek Lower Decks Season 4 comes from Paramount Plus on the 7th. But more importantly, Justified City Primeval and The Killing Kind, Killing Kind obviously comes to Paramount Plus, Justified City, City Primeval, I think it's on Disney Plus, they <laughs> both so arrive quickly. on the 7th as well, and we will be reviewing both of those shows on the next Pilot Plus. Also on are The Inheritance, which is starts on Channel 5 on Monday, 
Sunday. That's a weekly drama hinging upon three siblings and uh, the shock death of their dad, played by Larry Lamb. That's supposed to be pretty good. Newsom's The Virgin River case favourite. Mm-hmm. Starts on Thursday as well. God, Thursday's a very busy day. It is. On, on the Netflix. Uh, Top Boy is back also on Thursday. Fucking hell. I've watched season the first three episodes of this new season and the last ever season of Top Boy and they are great. This is a really, I think, undervalued show and we should review it, but it's not entirely new. But th- this year, this season, there's an Irish element played by Brian Gleeson from Bad Sisters and Barry Keegan from the Banshees of Inisherin. How brilliant oh, is wow. that? And they're fantastic in the, bring a whole new kind of atmosphere to an already really, really good show. I think they're the main and and also on shows. Pick of the week. The Lovers, without a doubt. Please, everyone watch it. I need to talk to you about it. Yeah, I'll go for The Lovers, yeah. Yeah, probably. Yep. Although Changeling is very good. Oh, we're all in agreement. Yes, we are. Right. That is it for this week's Pilot TV podcast. If you did enjoy it or are a new listener and have yet to leave us a review, please do head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Just add just stars, just five stars. That's all I ask for. Five star rating. Uh, if you would like to follow us on social media at James C. Dyer, at Kerry Vero, at Boyd Hill, and of course at Pilot TV Pod, we will be back in your ears on Thursday for Pilot Plus. If you're a subscriber, if not, then you know, please do subscribe. When we'll be dealing with Justified City Primeval and The Killing Kind. Uh, and speaking of The Killing Kind, on next week's show, Emma Appleton, star of The Killing Kind, is going to be on the show to talk to us, which is very, very exciting. Also, the morning show returns for its third season we may end up discussing that welcome to Wrexham comes for season 2 I don't know why I'm mentioning that because we're clearly <laughs> oh, not covering that uh, and uh, other stuff other good good wonderful stuff mm. will also be on the show but until that time until that moment pilot out